<laughs> Welcome back to Pixels and Pints. Happy International Women's Day. Joining me as always tonight is Tom. G'day, champs. I'm Pete, and uh, Dan won't be joining us tonight. He's unfortunately stuck with some other shit to do. Uh, and and we've actually been a bit slow this month. Uh, we've missed two or three weeks of recording. That's my we fault. Are, we're about a week and a half behind of where we'd like to be. Mm. Yeah, no, I've I've just been flat out with interviews and study and a whole bunch of really boring shit that we won't talk about on the podcast. Uh, what we will be talking on the podca- podcast, though, as always, is all our favourite pop culture around music. Uh, well, actually, we never talk about music. TV shows, I movies, um, comic books. Yeah, we do about, occasionally talk, I can talk about, about music. music tonight, actually. We also do occasionally talk about board games. Uh, mm-hmm. And while we do all of that, we will be reviewing some tasty craft beer, mostly from Australia, sometimes from New Zealand. And if we're feeling particularly adventurous, further afield. International. International. That's it. That's the intro. That's us. It's done. That's us. We only took wrong. 11 takes. We got there. We did. Um, that is. Do you yeah. want to do you want to kick off with the beer that you're staring longingly at, Tom? You know why I'm staring longingly at it? It's not longingly. It's it's not in English. Fuck! Oh, it's it is in English. Okay, so I I picked up the one drop uh, fourth birthday pack. So they did four four beers. I was thinking about uh, for the next recording, I would do um, all four of them. Uh, this is their Bohemian Lager at four point six percent. Okay. Uh, that is by far the lowest ABV beer in the four pack. Most of the others are above ten percent. Um, so Ooh. I, you know, made the smart decision Erd on the and side declined. of caution. <laughs> um, I need a several mirror set up to read the back of this can because they've written it in reverse. Because they because why not? Well, they've done this whole theme around it. Is like the is like the the monk the the, the sect. Yep. You know, triple yep. four as opposed to triple six kind of thing. So the entire back of the can actually might work for you, but it's it's written in. No, it reverse. doesn't because your camera can't can't. Focus you probably can't see it. it, but yeah, I yeah, that's I I can probably do it actually. These look it these rites, nah, these rites affirm the sacred wheel of mixed ferment consume. Nah, that's going to be too hard um, and and too slow. Yeah, I can see they're all called triple four as well. So this yes, is, yes, triple four. So was this the is theme. a Czech pilsner. Bohemian lager uh, makes me. Whenever I hear the word bohemian, the first thing I always think of is uh, Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge. Hmm. Um, what yes, a so beautiful use- angelic voice that man has. There was a boy. Uh, Pilsner malt, <laughs> SARS was the hop, and thyme. Yep, that's a lager, so that makes sense. <laughs> the these rites affirm the sacred wheel of mix, ferment, consume. Oh, the sacredness got, yep, of the humble grain, the natural connection to longevity in the cold, oneness with divine intervention that drives fermentation, all expressed through the goddess-like medium of aqua. These are the rites. Uh, these are rites that honor timely traditions of oldie with the evolutionary times of the new. From the many, from the dark, a few runes light an arc. Pilsner malt, sars, time. Shall the fours be with you? Normal set. Like that's what it feels like it should end that with. Um yeah, it is a it is a beautifully crisp, clear like look at that. Yeah, wow. Look I mean at look that. you can see me in it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> if it had been any less clear, then it wouldn't have been true to form in terms of a Czech Pilsner though. Yes, yeah. And it's got um some really nice, beautiful, like earthy, grassy notes to it. Um it is a beautifully made beer. It's just the back of that can's fucking annoying. <laughs> 
I think the design they've done for all of them is is cool. Like it incorporates the first things I think of when I think about one drop having been able to go to the brewery. Like they have a massive um, Bob Marley um, artwork, which they they feature there. You see Bob's face. Yeah, um, yeah, that's cool. The front of the the front of the brewery is is there on the can. Um, they always have like palm trees and disco balls and 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 good times going. And then yeah, they've just made it a little bit a uh, little bit culty, um, which is fun. Um, I'm excited to dive into the other ones. They did uh, it was IPA, um, which I think they did it with their cold fusion system. Um, from memory, uh, there's a, a heavily, heavily fruited sour in the style of One Drop, um, and then a, I believe it was a pastry stout. The last two were were above ten percent, so that's why I mm. declined doing all four of them. Yeah, um, I think that was a wise move. Yes, uh, but this is beautiful. It's perfect on you know this has been some of the hottest days of the year so far. Um, yeah. This is this is great. It's really refreshing. Um, it's very crisp. Um, as I said, really grassy, really like um, you kind of feel like you're drinking freshly freshly mowed lawn, which is which is always mm. kind of nice after a hot day. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a four point four out of five for me. I was going to do a joke and say it was triple fours, but then that's a sixteen out of five. And that a four point no, four out of five. five. So it's going to be a four point five out of five. Yep, because you can't do point ones on Untapped. I don't think maybe you can four point five. Didn't I? Did I say 4.5? You said 4.4. 4. Oh. I'll try for that, though. I'll aim for that, Tom. No, you got to pay aim for that. High. you got to pay for that option. Um, yes, that was the bad joke I was trying to make with the triple fours. I didn't it's know there four, was a four, option 4. for 4.44 4 out of 5. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's some serious commitment to tracking your beers, is paying someone a subscription fee for Untapped. I had it. Yeah, someone gifted it to me once. I had a year of paid subscription on untapped what functionality could possibly be worth spending if you're, beer if money you're a beer on a beer influencer tracker? like a social media person who like there a are some, beer influencer like an influencer who focuses on beer you know what i mean um there are some there are some seriously followed accounts on untapped like yeah, some seriously broken parts of society too and most of them start with influencer anyway we won't get into that no politics no, no politics. influencing let no me influence you and tell you to go buy that beer if you can still find it. It's great. Yeah, cool. I will. I'll keep an eye out for the fourth birthday pack, actually. It was um, uh, on the OneDrop website. I okay. don't know if they still have any, but yeah. Cool. What are you drinking, Peter? I am drinking Black's Hop, Black Hops Brewery Hornet IPA. Oh, what a beautiful, cracker beautiful of a starting classic beer. beer. Uh, I've not had a Black Hops beer before. Oh, um, welcome I've to not, the wonderful world of Black Ops. I've not had the Hornet IPA before uh, at 6%. Mm-hmm. Dry, angry, and bitter. Hornet has some serious sting with a balancing aroma of stone and citrus fruits. This modern IPA drinks with a subtle sweetness and a sturdy presence of hop bitterness. I would say it's got more than just a sturdy presence of hop bitterness. I'd say it's a solidly bitter IPA, and it's perfectly balanced against that 6%. Um Lots of orange pith. I wouldn't so much say I get too much stone fruit out of it, but certainly yeah. those really almost sour pithy notes you get out of orange peel rather than orange juice, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, not too much green around around the hot profile, um, but it's just a classic fucking IPA. So it's perfect hot weather beer, particularly perfectly chilled. I've got a mm. little cooler bag next to me because with only oh. two of us- yeah, that's Fancy right. Boy. That's oh. right. With only two of us, we can't really 
just you can't have one person skive off while the other two keep talking to get a second beer. So it's either. Oh, I mean, got- I usually put my second beer in a um in a cozy and stick mm. it on the desk. I've got my very, very pretty um school lunchbox type thing. It's got yes. the little ice packs in it. Pit perfectly fits four beers and two ice packs, one above and one below. Anyway, um, I that's an excellent starting beer. I'm going to give that a four out of five. Oofed. Very happy with that. Good start from us. Well done. Yeah. Should we kick off with some news? I actually, let's kick off with some fake news. We interrupt this broadcast with some breaking news from the front. <laughs> yes. Yes, Peter. Okay. Yes. Kick Pete off needs to make news. a Pete needs to make a retraction from the last episode where redacted, uh, I, redacted. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I ret- retracted. Definitely retracted. So I, I was incorrect in regurgitating an article that was also incorrect. I went back to the source to see if I just sped read wrong, but mm. the source got it wrong too. Um, Had they corrected themselves? I'm not sure. It was on comicbookmovies.com uh, originally. Oh, man. They're- Look, I know they I do, shit on They people, do differentiate they- between rumors and confirmed yeah, quite they're, well. They're, qu- they're quite often- just Poor out there shit. wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we said we weren't talking politics, and that all is almost a political conversation. But hmm. look, uh, me a culpa. So uh, I stated that Affleck and Keaton's Batman and Supergirl girl were out of the Flash. Uh, that's just not true. So, yeah, but I think me. a few people were reporting that as well. So, I, I, yeah, I there were a lot yeah. of people talking about it. Um, hmm. But you know, we still have to take responsibility if we're going we to have a we segment do. called news. So, uh, Affleck and Keaton, Batman's still in. Supergirl. Yes, the, the trailer definitely showed all of them. <laughs> yeah, all of them heavily. Yeah, yeah. That, which is funny because I'm sitting there watching the Super Bowl trailer, thinking, "Hang on, what the fuck?" I mean, it's awesome. I'm I was cheering, but at the same time, I'm well, we just literally just read that they were all out. So. I'm super glad that we were wrong mm. uh, and that they're all in. And it looks like Supergirl's got a fair bit of screen time too, which is awesome. Still a shame that her part gets cut as soon as the movie's over, yeah. but it's still awesome that you know they didn't that she wasn't selected uh, to star in it. They built the suit, they filmed it, and then cut her after the fact. I'm really yes. glad that wasn't the outcome. Yeah, she looks yes. badass too. She does look badass. Mm. Um, Next little little nugget of news was uh, Favreau's confirmed that he's already written the entirety of season four of Mando. I think we will talk first impressions Mando season three a little bit after the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've only seen one episode. Um, yes, I don't two's, two's released today. So. Tonight, yeah. Um, so we've got some first impressions. We'll cover that quickly. But, yeah, mm-hmm. to, to know that Favreau's already written all of season three and all of season four of Mandalorian is pretty cool. So this guy clearly has a plan. Yes. No, I mean, it's it, and it's actually really interesting if you look at, um, for those of uh, us who are watching Mando and um, and Bad Batch side by side, um, especially now Bad Batch is really, it's closing out the season relatively soon. I think it's got a few more weeks of episodes, okay. um, both dropping Wednesdays as well. But uh, they've, like last episode really kicked it into, into gear um, in terms of furthering the story. It's, it was a bit... You know, season two it was a bit like, mm, where are you guys going? And now it's like, oh shit! Like they're right back into that's it. where so, you're going. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really need to do some catching up on on Bad Batch while I can. Hmm. Um, now that I've finished Clone Wars, I can start 
blitzing through that. I just haven't had a chance. I've been distracted by everything else that's going on on TV at the moment. Um, I think the next piece of news you should cover because I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. I've yes, certainly got mine. So uh, we, we spoke about this when they sold the rights. So um, Embracer Group brought, bought the rights to the Lord of the Rings franchises um, from the Tolkien estate uh, a few months ago. It was mm. August-ish, September last year. Um, that they 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 announced that Embracer Group have been buying up a lot of things as well. They bought up a fair hefty chunk of um, game studios. Um, some of them are working on some quite big games that we're excited for. Like so, one of their studios is uh, was um, uh, Aspire, uh, which was doing all the ports of old Star Wars games, and they are actually working on the um, the uh, Coda remake, which they've now mm-hmm. passed to another studio. There's Saber Interactive. There was some there was some news around that towards the end of the year. Um, so this Embracer Group is just been buying up shit left, right, and center. It's just a bunch of guys who've obviously got like shit fingers in all pies, super <laughs> nerdy dudes, and got cash behind them. So they're like, mm. let's bring this stuff home. Um, so yeah, so they've they've got the rights to the stuff that Amazon doesn't. So yeah. Amazon has the rights to specifically the second age of Middle Earth, um, whereas this is more talking about more third age stuff. Uh, and so they, they're yeah, they're talking about they're going to make a, a bunch of movies based around stories in that, and you know, the initial a new trilogy. Yes, they've um, said they're making a new trilogy. Specifically, so yeah, so. like, but they're not remaking Peter Jackson's trilogy. No, no, that's, no, no. that's it's not a, a reboot. very important it's, caveat to make. It's an they're, expansion they're not- of the of, of yeah. what they've brought to cinema. But there's is there that much story left to tell? They've done the Hobbit, they've done the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's to be honest, similar. Most of the other stuff that that um, J.R. Tolkien wrote, and then his son Christopher like finished off for him. A lot of it's dealing with um, like first and second age stories. It's yeah. a lot of Elvish stuff. Um, which is kind of been covered by Rings of Power with the yeah. Silmarillion kind of epic poems. Yeah, and it, you can't you never do a Silmarillion movie. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be that'd it'd be just, the entire four twenty film. It it would be the MCU. It would be the MCU up until Endgame. That that's and that's just the Silmarillion. Like to mm. really cover it. Um, look, there are definitely there are definitely some stories they could probably tell out of it. Um, I just think they need to be really careful about the. You know, there was that joke image that I sent to the chat, which was like, you know, Strider Origins and 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 Gandalf Origins and all this mm. kind of stuff. Yeah, but like, it was Gandalf, a rip-off Gandalf's of on the- Middle Earth for for a couple of thousand years. Like, there's some really interesting stories you could tell. Um, obviously, I also have a soft spot for um, for the for the Gondorians. You know, that is that yep. is tattooed on my on my wrist. There is the the White Tree of Gondor. But I'd love to see also like a like a really cool series about like the the the, the Rahiram and Edoras and like the forming of that because you know the final the final stand of Helm Hammerhand who who mm. formed Helm's Deep like if you're gonna give me a three hour movie which is just a Helm's Deep siege I am just going to <laughs> splooge just oh, oh my god look like, there's lots of there's there's lots of of setting yeah that Jr set up like he, he wrote a lot of backdrop for the trilogy and it's it, you could almost argue and and the hobbit and the, the other content mm. that he wrote you'd almost argue that the content is so enthralling because the backdrop was so 
well thought out, well planned, yes. well well developed. Um, the the risk here is we're no longer interpreting the content of a book and mm. retelling mm. a story that's been told with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's all set out for you. Yeah. We're now in uh, movie studios inventing content based on the backdrop, yes. and that's dangerous territory. And that's based where they on get what Hollywood's super, done over the last super tropey, and that's where they get super tropey. Yeah. Um, and you can already see, and, and I'm not at all being, like, I'm not criticizing Rings of Power too directly here, but you can already see those issues creeping into Rings of Power hmm. from time to time. There were certainly yeah. elements of that of that season that but you were saw, you saw that in, so common Hollywood. You saw that in the Hobbit trilogy. Like, yeah. the Hobbit trilogy should never have been a trilogy. It should have been a two-parter film at, at yeah. very most. Yeah. Um, yeah. So look, there, there's there there is plenty of content for them to to go through. There's a lot of letters from Tolkien, especially to his son Christopher, that you could like that he writes about the world and all everything in there that you could really delve some stuff on. Like, um, I mean, you could you could write an entire series around the the forming of Khazad-dum, like the dwarves, oh, and like the entire just follow some history. of the Mier around, yeah, or however you pronounce it. It's just, yeah, it it is it is dangerous dangerous stuff. Um, I did see actually this morning. I don't know if you saw it, but um, Warner Brothers have approached Peter Jackson um, to say, if we're going to do this again, we want you involved. Is he directly attached to New Line Cinema? Because I know he was involved. New Line Cinema were involved. Yeah, I don't know if there's a direct connection between Peter Jackson. I don't, and I don't know New if he Line. has. Yeah, if he is seniority in new line or anything but yeah i know that they they reached out to him and said hey like if we're going to do another movie would you and you know you know and like that, that means you bring on. in the whole the whole weather team like yeah probably. uh actually according to well it's, it's old news now but from january 2007 uh movie studio company new line cinema has announced that movie director peter jackson will never be allowed to work on another new line film again <laughs> so clearly there's some bad blood there Hmm. Uh, that's funny. Um, told him to get fucked or something. <laughs> like it was, a, no, it was an argument over the budget for the Lord of the Rings. But I'm, look, I'm not going to do live research because that's going to bore our listeners. But yeah, hmm. so some bad blood there. Yeah, look, I think I think there is there are definitely some stories to tell. Um, you know, there's more and- there's more to be told in that world. I'm just very worried about yeah. Hollywood's current doesn't have a very good track record in this space lately. No, no. And they, they tend to take uh and when especially, I say lately, especially I mean when it's 20, older 20 older older stories that were told like the storytelling's changed over the last, you know, it has? how many like ninety years or whatever it is. It's almost a hundred years since Tolkien put out The Hobbit. Um like storytelling itself has just changed in the way that we embrace stories, the way we in, in like engage in stories or how 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 we take them in and how we follow them, like um yeah, and yeah. Uh, and 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 this is not an ad, this is not at all a political statement either. So I want to be very clear about that. But a lot of the content back then, particularly content that was written between World War One and World War Two, and then post World War Two, were ironic or um, satirical looks at society and politics going on in their day, and they were addressing particular issues in politics hmm. and the world around them. I mean, how um, could you not after a massive world war? Like, yeah. But those issues don't really need to be addressed today. No. Nah. 
Um, and some of those stories, and I'm not talking about specifically about Lord of, Lord of the Rings, but some of those stories out of necessity focused in on, you know, um, specific Germanic races, white races. There wasn't a lot of inclusionism. One, because that wasn't the order of the day at the time. Two, because no. in a lot of cases it didn't play into the storytelling because it wasn't relevant to the satire or the satirical look at politics in the day. Mm. But today, one, we don't need to tell those stories because those politics aren't all that relevant to explore, although in, in a kind of a weird way, there seems to be a resurgence of some of those issues. Um, a lot of discussions of fascism in American politics at the moment, which is really weird. Um, and inclusionism is a far more important element of storytelling today. Yes. So it's a case of you're almost re- it, it's you have to be quite sensitive to not retell an old story from a hundred years ago because we don't need to tell that story anymore. And if you did tell it, it'd almost be a rebuild from scratch to keep it relevant and to keep it in- inclusive and you know to address some of the thematic issues that we had the world as a society kind of back yeah, then. So that's yeah, where absolutely. they should focus. They should focus on the world, and you know there are some pretty strong themes that run through some of the the cultures that Tolkien build. And you like if you're if you're a smart writing group, you've got to look at it and go, cool. Um are there any left in Hollywood? That's probably a <laughs> well, bigger question to do. Yes. Uh that's Fabro <laughs> ate them all. <laughs> Feloni yeah, and Fabro. But that's 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 the, the the best thing to do is is you you have a, a a if you have a strong enough writing group, you can look through and go, cool, do we need this part of dwarven culture? Yeah. Do we need this part yeah. of Elvish culture? Probably not. It's not going to really meld. They did a decent one. job of 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 addressing some of those types of inclusionism inclusionism issues mm. in Rings of Power. Yeah, they got some really weird pushback on it, but they certainly did a decent job of. You're mm. not going to please everyone. That's just the reality. Um, Never. But they did a Far decent job of of addressing that. We need a new plague. Got to move on. So the Marvels was delayed until November. There's 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 a very quick little snippet. It was originally slated for July. Mm-hmm. No, it's now being pushed back. Um, I'm disappointed. I'm. It's. I. I know it's probably not a popular statement, but I'm kind of looking forward to the Marvels. I really liked I, I, Captain Marvel. Was sick. I liked that movie when it came out. And Miss um, Marvel was a really cool TV series for what it was. It was. I mean, it was aimed at an audience that isn't me. It was aimed at young girls. Yeah. Um. She was also the first Muslim uh, superhero brought to the screen. So yeah, I'm definitely not the, the target demographic, but I enjoyed it because it didn't take itself it too fresh. seriously. It was a fresh take. But it wasn't a Saved by the Bell craptastic 80s coming-of-age story, and it wasn't no. too young and immature in today's society either. It was it was well, well the, addressed. The, the diverse, like the, the, the characters they had, um, they had a nice range of ages. They were yeah. like- there were little bits from everything that you could pick on and like go, oh yeah, I can relate with that. Or like, mm, I don't dis- I don't agree with your choice there because, you know, of an age gap thing. But it's like yeah. there were still I really parts liked of every age group of those characters too. you could go, oh yeah, I'd yeah. make that choice. Or yeah. you'd go, I wouldn't make that choice. Yeah. No. But you could put that down to the age gap. Um I also like that they brought the cartoon elements into live action. Hmm. It was poked fun at itself. Yes. Um, Venom. So, okay, Tom Hardy announced that Venom 3 is in pre-production. My question there is, do we need another Venom? Uh, I, yeah, the second one was pretty shit, wasn't it? The first one wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, the first but one it was great. The best thing about the first one was that they- Tom Hardy was in it. Well, but also Tom Hardy was in it looking like a bag of shit that had been refrigerated and then microwaved. 
Like, (laughs) he at no point- perfectly portrayed that fucking character. Yeah, but like, if you think about it, if you you were having a symbiotic relationship with an alien parasite, you wouldn't look like, you know, you wouldn't have your shirtless shirtless, uh, MCU moment, would you? You'd be like, fuck me, I cannot sleep because this alien keeps chattering in my head. Like, I'm eating like shit because- And eating things. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was the best part about it was it- it made it weirdly real. Yeah. Yeah. But the second film, but the but look, even the first film, the, the plot was not great. Hardy's no, no. acting that, that was fantastic. That last fight scene was fucking awful. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Unfortunately, Tom Hardy's the entire was second film was just that last fight scene. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. It, no amount of and they good acting such from Woody Harrelson. Or, like, or, yeah. 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 With Carnage. Carnage so, I, I don't think we need a third one. I think- You've got a couple of hooks um, for some cameos in Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, there's- Unless they go balls to the walls crazy and do the full null King of the Symbiotes-like thing and send Tom Hardy to space. Let's go fucking- Let's just go bananas. <laughs> Sony's throwing money at it. Let's but go they're not, fucking They're not going to do that, though. They're not going to do that. It's no, not safe so enough for sick. them. It would be. I don't disagree. Um is a little piece of a little nugget of, of weirdness. It's and it's interesting. This is the day that we live in. So the U.S. Copyright Office has ruled that artificial Uh-oh. intelligence generated art is not protected by copyright. So there was someone in America who okay. had basically brought to market a comic book mm-hmm. who, where he had written the story, he had written the speech bubbles, um, but he'd used an AI algorithm to do all of the artwork for the comic. Oh man! Just and the Copyright stuff. Office. And the Copyright Office ruled that he can't actually register the copyright on the artwork because it wasn't written by, it wasn't drawn by a human. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's to me, it's the, the very beginning of a discussion in society about uh, AI rights because that conversation, is, as much as it sounds, the words coming out of my mouth sound far-fetched, that conversation's mm. actually already kicked off with this case there's already groups of people on the internet talking about, well, you know, the owner of the AI should should inherit rights, and then you've got another group saying, well, no, the AI itself should have have its own rights. It should be recognised as an entity. We're nowhere near a, you know, a flashpoint for that conversation, but it is the beginning of. It. I, it's I, very yeah. interesting. So, like, would they consider the AI to be kind of like a child? No, I mean the U.S. copyright. This is the point. The U.S. copyright office has said it's not. It's not a person. It's not human. It has no fucking rights. It's yeah. a. It's a piece of software. That's now the U.S. copyright office is not the not the uh, the be all end all of American ethics, <laughs> let alone world ethics. Right, but it is the start what do you of mean? the conversation. The copyright office is the, <laughs> the board of ethics. <laughs> That's crazy talk. <clears throat> yeah. So it's it, it's interesting. Yeah, um, no, and, it is. And, yeah. and by the way, the IQ of uh, uh, things like ChatGPT, which is now owned by Microsoft, um, the the oh, IQ- man, I got a bone to pick with fucking ChatGPT. Uh, the IQ is is about one ten to one twenty. Mm. That's smarter than most people, right? So the IQ of previous generation AI has been sixty or seventy. It's not really been that high. Yeah. It's been like a six to eight year old to to be. 110 to 120, um, and this is still a relatively benign, it's not benign, it's, it's the wrong word to use, but it's a relatively early generation AI. Mm. Like it's already, we're already researching the next gen 
And then you have people like Google AI experts saying that they actually wouldn't know if any of their supercomputer AIs weren't already self-aware. They said that about 12 to 18 months ago and a whole bunch of media coverage picked up on it and Google buried the statement very fucking quickly. But Mm. a, a proper bona fide expert in AI from Google said, we wouldn't know if one of these neural networks was sentient. Unless it told us, we we don't understand the code enough anymore to know because this I mean, shit's writing itself. Bring it on. What's your chat GPT complaint? Oh, no, it's it's, it's a very particular thing, but I'm just there, there was just a, a little trend of people who were it's, – it's actually kind of similar to what you were saying with the, the AI and not having like whether or not they have the rights to the, 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 the content or something, but hmm. there was – just a running thing where there was a bunch of beer nerds who were so fucking excited about chat GPT. They were like, oh, imagine if like the, a brewer from mountain culture got with chat GPT and they wrote a recipe together. And it's like, well, you could just trust the human brewer to write a recipe. And I just, I don't know. It's a little just yeah. point that pissed me off. It was just like, and then this, this one particular dude just kept really going on about it being like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to put a recipe in and like, it's going to be the best IPA ever. And it's like, don't know if the computer's going to brew it, though, bro, because they haven't automated all that technology. So you need to give it the right inputs anyway. Like it's a that's a pointless exercise at this point. It's not yeah. like it's going to come up with an idea that a brewer hasn't already come up with. Um, I know what it was, I just will- a, it was a, bu- a bunch of tech and beer nerds just coming across each other, being like, "Ah, oh, if we chat yeah. GPT, everything, everything." And yet, every time be they great. pick up their phone or they talk to the A woman, the A lady in, uh, I can't say out loud in my house because she turns my lights and shit on. Mm. Um, that's an AI as well. I mean, we're already surrounded by this shit. It's just it's gotten to a point now where um, Chat GPT specifically has hit mainstream media because of its capability. But that's all it is. It's just a yeah. a next step in capability. Anyway, I just think it's interesting that I can ask it the same question five times with the same input and it'll give me this, a different output because it does actually think. Mm. So I can say, here's some information, write me, tell me a story about it and it will give me five different stories if I ask it five times. It's, it's not just repeating. It, you know, It's not looking up a database. It's actually quite interesting in that sense. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on because I could go down a rabbit hole there and we don't want to do that. Uh, Microsoft appears to be, yeah, I don't, this news is a couple of weeks old now. <laughs> yeah. um, Microsoft appears to be prepping shareholders and customers is the way I originally wrote it for the mm-hmm. potential for the Activision Blizzard acquisition to fall through, reassuring ah. fans that Xbox will still exist even if regulators block the purchase. Now, that news is still correct, but, okay. I, 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 but at the moment I suspect it's more because a bunch of idiots in the media world and a bunch of idiot fans have, have been trying to connect between if it falls through, does that mean Xbox is going to disappear? And they're like, it's our no. largest fucking profit-making no. division, you twats. That's so, just bad people reporting. Are people are dumb. That's I mean, right. yes, that's entirely and, true. And bad reporting because it sells papers <sighs> the more sensational the news. Clickbait. Yeah, precisely, precisely. Um, It actually does. The latest news that came out a couple of days ago is it looks like the EU is poised to approve the acquisition. And if the EU approves it, it's quite unlikely America is going to stop it. But then I won't get get the Elder Scrolls 6. You're already not getting it at this point. Um, Fuck! I mean, look, if if you have a look at what's going on at the moment, 
anything that they've I guess already I'll just released. Replay one of the eighteen versions of Skyrim. <laughs> anything that, that's already been released, they're not going to drop support for. But the only future releases that seem to have some sort of protection is Call mm. of Duty, and it's because Microsoft have been using Call of Duty contracts as a way of mm. paving that that fucking pathway through the EU mm. and through America. So um, Nintendo's already signed a, a contract with Microsoft to say that if the acquisition goes through, Call of Duty will continue to be released to the Switch. Who the fuck wants yeah. to play Call of Duty on a Switch anyway? I mean, who as a fully well played on an Android and brain-developed adult who wants to play Call of Duty? Well, <laughs> that too. Um, do you want to hit the next piece of news? I need you to jump in with this, some of this news so I, it's not just me ranting. Sure. Um, IO Interactive, uh, developers of the Hitman series, have announced a new game. Uh, an online fantasy RPG focusing on teamwork and camaraderie, which has no name. Peter, good news. Button. It has it has no name, but the Excellent. interesting part is IO Peter. Interactive, who have been running the Hitman intellectual property for a thousand years, mm. um, they haven't done anything recently with the Hitman series, and now their latest game announcement has fucking nothing to do with it. They've they've got no. Well, they, history no, they recently RPGs. put out the the last of the Hitman episodes. That wasn't Hitman. too. Hitman, Hitman, the last Hitman game has been getting recurring like DLC like episodes. Um, okay. Yeah, and I, I that was Hitman three, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Um, but they all Absolution or something. I don't know. I don't. Mm. Really, I've never really played Hitman. Um, but I did I had seen fresh content from um. YouTube creators about new episode okay. coming out. Yeah. Um, I actually think the most interesting one, on the similar subject though, um, of uh, online fantasy stuff, uh, which would interest, and I really want to ask Ed and I keep forgetting to message him and ask him, but the latest Final Fantasy, which is going to be 16, maybe? Yeah. 15 was on, 15 was the Kingslayer one, and then I think it's 16. Um, it's made a massive shift. So for centuries, possibly false uh, <laughs> statement there. Um, ever since like Final Fantasy monkey magic. Yeah. for hundreds of years, the nature of monkey is irrepressible. Uh, no, no. So the, the, the Final Fantasy series have always really been turn-based and they've slowly evolved the turn-based combat. Um, like Final Fantasy 12 was the last pure turn-based no, 10. 10 was the last pure turn-based combat style game. 12 started developing this like active turn-based thing where you still had this moment of like you had like this line came out of your character. And I was like, that's mm. essentially like the, the turn-based element of it. Um, and then they've slowly moved away to that to the point where the next one, which I think is 16, um, is uh, is going to be like a pure action, like action style game, like uh not so much a button masher, but Which is what they did with Fallout. I mean, Fallout was turn based, and then now it's all real time. Yeah, yeah, but there's, yeah, that's the thing. But it's a massive shift for them because for yeah. for years they've they've been they've been turn based or like a variation on turn based. Um, and I really want to get Ed's opinion on that because obviously he is a massive Final Fantasy fan. Um, but as I've I've played seven, seven, ten, twelve, thirteen, fifteen. I play 14? I can't remember. Um, no, 14 was the online one. But yeah, like playing those, like, and it's, it's, it is like, it was like almost like a refreshing, like, 
kind of thing to go back to that turn-based style of gameplay. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so yeah, oh, that's I, why I love. It's a massive games. development for the studio, though, to go like that's like a pretty big shift. Um, but yeah, from all accounts, uh, it's going to be more like almost like a not Ragnarok-y kind of gameplay, but similar. Got so, a War Ragnarok, not AC. Yeah. Got I don't know why I keep thinking AC Ragnarok. I know it was DLC, but yeah, yeah. Anyway. But it's, it's it's similar to that. So yeah, yeah, cool. It's a super interesting move interesting. for for a studio to develop their you know their their biggest selling series and move them yeah. to that. Yeah, it is. Um, yes. Um, What's the, oh, the day before the this day is before. you, mate. Four. Yeah, I. I'll do the last I, two. Okay, cool. I originally saw the day before. It was supposed to be a gameplay trailer, and mm. look, I still, I'm still angry that the division wasn't what i had hoped it would be yes a co-op like a massive open open world co-op with a good storyline to bring everything together Hmm. um so when i saw the day before like they're playing with their mates that had the similar kind of tactical elements but set in a zombie world that looked quite a lot like um oh what was the bike one um days gone thank you i was was gonna look behind because i got the statue behind me uh days gone it kind of looked like that but but co-op in a larger world. Yeah. But, but the more I look into it, the more it seems like it's all horseshit. And I don't know if it's a scam or a studio trying to punch above their weight and they've been called out on it. I, I don't know mm. what's going on, but it does it just con- dodgy, doesn't it? Continues to be plagued by issues. So uh, it came out a couple of weeks back, or probably two, uh, three or four now, that the trailer's mm. almost a cut and paste from a Call of Duty, the most recent Call of Duty. So right. shot for shot even down to the point of the lighting of um, bars across the character's face, uh, the stances Good. between Good. characters. You, you, you don't think you're going to copy a small studio. You're going to go for <laughs> no. one of the yeah, biggest games. If you're going to play yeah, yeah, let's yeah, go for yeah. something that everyone's going to fucking see. Hmm. And then you compare the poster from the day before to The Last of Us. And, in, and, and to be honest, the very first time I saw that poster, I was attracted to the idea of the game because I thought, holy shit, are they doing some sort of multiplayer co-op Last of Us? So I, I, my brain recognised that before I did. Oh um, shit! Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the latest controversy is it turns out that the ten minutes or whatever it was of in-game footage that I had mm-hmm. seen as a trailer, I, I watched that one. Yeah. Yep. They've now admitted after a lot of people screaming at them that it wasn't actually captured in-game. There was no human interacting Ooh. with the game engine. It was one hundred percent computer scripted. In the foot. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, oh. It was 100% scripted in the game engine. So it is it is in-game footage in the sense that it's inside the Unreal Engine, mm. but there's no person playing, there's no one interacting, the, the voiceovers are all faked, it's all bullshit. And the latest trouble they're in, ironically, is the dumbest little piece of news, mm. is um, they didn't manage to grab the, the trademark on the name the day oh, before, yeah, before a very small Korean mobile app developer did, so yeah. now they're in trouble for the name of the fucking game. Just it just seems like that game's just never going to see the light of day at the rate that it's going. There's a lot of problems there. But it's there. one of those things you think about, like, should it, or is it one of those things where it's like, you know what, maybe no. it's best you just go back to sleep. Yeah. Like, it's going to be another Duke Nukem Forever that took forever and ended up being an absolute fucking yeah, yeah, dumpster fire of a game. Until, yeah, well, it's 15 years it took for that game to come out, and it was terrible. And God, was it behind the times? Um, yeah. This is exciting yep. news. I'm excited for this. Fuck yeah. John Berthnell has confirmed he's uh, he's back in Daredevil Born Again as the Punisher. Um, 
I think one of the great scenes of the Punisher, um, Daredevil being the, the um, John Berthnall and why is his name just escaped my lips? Charlie Cox. Charlie Cox. Uh, one of their greatest interactions was the courtroom scene um, where you watch as Frank realizes that as he says the name, as Charlie Cox, as Daredevil says Frank um, when he's defending him and uh, he goes, Oh, I recognize that. And it's like, yeah, that's because that's what the Punisher is. Yeah. Um, and he figures out who who Matt Murdock is. Uh, mm. I think their interactions are superb. I think they're a great little uh, acting acting duo. Um, so I'm very excited to see them interact. Not to mention Kingpin. Like, if they were going to rescue any of the Netflix properties and mm. bring it into official MCU, that was the fucking perfect one to pick. Yeah. Well, they've already brought Kingpin in. Yes, they have, yeah. but I'm. But, but Kingpin was was brought the, the the character was brought to life in the first season of Daredevil. Um, yes. Frank Castle was season two of Daredevil. So mm. if they were going to rescue any of the properties, they can let Iron Fist just get fisted. Um, uh, Jessica Jones, I really loved that character for the first season. I never and got I, into Jessica Jones. I, I, I just why. really enjoyed that detective noir style. Um, and then yeah. David Tennant being the bad guy was just mind blowingly. I think that was the main thing for me that threw me off. I just I couldn't. Get behind a bad David Tennant? Not not a bad David Tennant, but like that creepy David Tennant. Like fuck, he did it well. Yeah, he I know. It's so a well. shame because he he he. I by all accounts, he does it so well, and just I just didn't. Fair I, enough. Know, coming coming after him being the Doctor and then seeing mm. him in other stuff, and it's just like, oh, I just can't do it. Yeah, but yeah. I, and that's and that's that's my loss. That's that's what that is. It's yeah. But I'm glad they rescued that and brought it into MCU. Ah, oh, John Berthner was a beautiful Punisher. He was great. He was always fantastic. I thought, like the moments where he was especially grippling, like with with Frank's PTSD and stuff, and just like mm. the, the outbursts and stuff. There was the there were <laughs> controlled chaos kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a beautiful moment. Um, and the last of this one's oh, this one's a bit sad for me actually. Um, Forspoken, the Square Enix game getting slammed. Um, I I seems to be coming back a little bit in reviews now. It got initially destroyed. I quite enjoyed the the demo I played. In fact, to the point where I stopped playing it. Yeah, you were saying. Yeah, I stopped playing because I didn't want to ruin the story. I didn't want to like get too deep into it. Um, you know, unfortunately, have not been churning through games like I used to in recent months. Um, but it's it's it still sits there. I've got the game. Like I picked it up from EV, and I've got it sitting at home. It's. You know, um, once I finally finish Hogwarts and finish the two Far Cries I'm on, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to dive right into it. But it's, um, I, I, I'm a bit worried now that it's probably going to be, you know. Tainted weird. a little bit. Not tainted, but I'm worried I'm going to keep pushing it back for other games now. Be- probably because, yeah, like a little bit of tainting it like that. Mm. that. Um, it was just, it was so promising and it looked, it was, it looked so beautiful. But even but that said, playing it in that demo, it was still quite an enthralling world. Um, yeah, the, look, the reviews I've read say that the the combat system is interesting for about fifteen minutes, and then yeah. it just becomes one hundred percent repetitive. Boss and mini boss fights are are exactly the same over and over again. There is no game mechanic unique to any of it, mm. um, and the voiceover is like the voice acting is poor, stale, immature. Oh. Overacted, poorly paced. So it's, yeah, I mean, like you're talking three, I think three is the average score out of five, which is pretty low for a AAA title. 
Uh, and then the news that Square Enix has absorbed the studio, Luminous, which is, I mean, it doesn't really mean that much. Square Enix always well, owned the Luminous. Originally, they, they picked some dudes and said, out of Square Enix and go, go make your own little. No, I think Luminous has done a few games. I don't, it's not, okay. I'm pretty sure it's not the, not the only one, only game they've produced. But the concern there is if Square Enix absorbs the, their subsidiary games, how, like the, the development studio, hmm. and then redistributes the employees, who's going to look after Forspoken in terms of patches, in terms of like DLC content down the path? Well, it, mean, doesn't, you'd, you'd, it doesn't, hope- it's not a death knell, but it's not a good sign. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that comes down to how many people do you need to be doing those kind of patches, and that is not a question I can answer because. Well, they I only had 150 staff to start with. Uh, they did Final Fantasy 15, and then Forspoken. Right. They've been a game studio since 2018. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, if they if they got given a the what 14 you said. 15. 15. Oh yeah, that was the drive around stand by me version. Wouldn't know. Would That's a joke know. for Ed. Okay. Welcome, Ed. <laughs> I'm sure actually he'll actually have a bit of a chuckle with that one. Um, um, yeah, so they released Final Fantasy uh, 15 in 2016. Solid game. Yeah. Uh, and then Forspoken. So they haven't done anything else. Okay. Anyway, that's the news over. That is the news over. Well done, have news. You-, you survive another week. Have you got your uh, second beer handy? I am just cracking it. You seem to have cracked yours, so you start. Cool. My second beer. Mm-hmm. I'm on a bit of a journey tonight. Um, so the second one is uh, Ekim Brewing. It's about the destination. It's about the journey. That's it. Uh, Ekim or Ekking? Ekim. Ekim Brewing. Do you know why they're uh, called Ekim? Viking IPA. Uh, I do not. I know they're based in Karingai, Mount Karingai, which is not too far away from me at the moment. Uh, they're called Ekam because one of the uh, so the original owner or brewer was name was Mike, which is Ekam backwards. Makes just a fun makes sense. Fun little wordplay. You love yeah. it. Um. So this is again. This is a. I mean, a, it's a Viking IPA. So it's a, it's look American IPA. Um. It's nice and clear. Actually, is it, it the aftermath? No. No. That was uh, Viking Viking IPA. Yeah. Um, it's basically mosaic um, IPA. Lots and lots and lots of mosaic. Six point two percent. It's greener, like it's mm-hmm. noticeably greener than the black hops I just had. How um, fresh is it? Check your bottle. I don't know. Uh, here we are. Brewed on the second of February, so it's a yeah. month old. Yeah, super fucking fresh. Mm. Um. Which is why it will be so green. Oh, here we go. And it was double dry hopped with mosaic, which is why I'm getting so much green out of it. Mm. Um, not much dankness, um, but it is very piney, very hop forward. Mm-hmm. Um, solid, I'd say, I wouldn't say solids. It's not strongly bitter, but a good bitterness for to balance against all of that. All of that. Uh, nice rounded fresh, bitterness. grassy. Same. Yeah. Yes. Rounded bitterness. That's right. Um, no, it's, this is great. It's it's yeah. it's a nice departure from like it's a, it's a good contrast to the Hornet IPA I just had. Um, yeah, almost be, this, it would be actually quite nice to have them because they'd be s- similar but different. Yeah, precisely. Um, Six point two percent. Nice, good, solid hit. Yeah, 
thoroughly enjoyed that. And another brewery that I've not, I know you guys had said, both you and Dan said that you had 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 Eckham's beers before, but I have not. So uh, I picked it up primarily because I've not heard of them. Beautiful. Yes. Tom, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm actually also drinking a new brewery that I am just trying to find a little bit about. Uh, so I'm drinking the Frexy, Frexy Brewing Golden IPA. Uh, these are a new brewery that, uh, from Dandenong in Victoria. Um, I'm just trying to find out how long they've been around because I have only just come across them. Uh, the golden IPA is, is pouring quite a solid, Mm. solid, deep amber. Um, I feel like it's kind of like a mix. It's like an extra hopped golden ale, which is an older style, which I love to see. One of the first few craft beers that I had was, um, an old brewery that I don't think, I don't know if they exist anymore. Um, but one of their flagship beers was a golden ale, um, which was kind of like for those who are newer into craft, it was, it was the XBA before the XBA existed. Okay. Yeah. Um, but these that guys, tracks. uh, I'll just read their little blurb cause it's, it's, it's kind of, it, yeah, it's new for me and I, I, I love finding new breweries. Um, so these guys are a duo. So there's um, Charlotte, who is a chef from France, and Ed, an architect and carpenter from Mexico. And they met in London, bonded over time, spent visiting breweries and enjoying beers while traveling through Europe and Southeast Asia. And now they've set it in Melbourne, where they became home brewers. And three years on from their first brew, they formed Frexy Brewing. Uh, Frexy comes from the alliance between um, France and Mexico. Nice mm-hmm. little, little world play. Uh, it doesn't say how long they have been brewing, unfortunately. Um, but I would say they're relatively new. Uh, it is a solid, solid, like, multi-IPA, um, this this golden IPA. It's got a strong multi background. It's got a nice, like, hop-rounded, like, flavor. Um, not overpowering in any way. It's not like a smack hops to your face, which is what you kind of said you were talking about at the beginning. Um this was this was packaged back in October, so it's it's getting kind of towards the end to of it. Yeah, yeah, it's had some time to mellow and, and kind of chill. Um, but I probably doubt that when it first came out, it was going to be a massive hop hit to the face. Anyway, um, it's it's a perfect like good good sessionable IPA, something you can um, you can sit on. Uh, I didn't. See, it was five point six as well. Sorry, I didn't tell you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry a, about that. It's a balance um, between a golden ale and an IPA. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, that is that is the perfectness. There's a nice bitterness through it. Bit of tropical notes, a little bit of stone fruit, um, like. But then the malt is just there, just to hold everything together as like a nice nice glue. Um, yeah, for for someone who's recently jumped from home brewing to commercial brewing, like this is. This is really good, and um, one of my one of my co managers had some of their sours and said they were amazing. They did like a cherry and lavender sour that Ooh, she was just like it was insanely good. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very impressed for for a first shootout. This is this is really four point two five out of five. Like yeah, congratulations, well done. Um, yeah, nice. Welcome to the wonderful world of the craft beer industry. <laughs> uh, and mine was a four out of five. I didn't actually give it a rating when I should have. So. Oh, Pete, they got an IBU for you. 50. Ooh. Ooh. 50 IBUs. Love, a, love an IBU rating. You don't see that very often. There's lots of IBUs, bro. 
Neither of mine did. Yeah, they do a, a lavender and cherry sour, the golden IPA, a hazy IPA, a smoky sour, a refreshing it's porter. Smoky sour. Yeah. A XPA southern sour. That's funny because the, the next word is- Apparently the refreshing porter, porter is like super, super coffee-ish too. Yeah, cool. The southern sour is watermelon porter. habaneros. So Tom will never be trying that because he doesn't <laughs> yeah. want to die on Squirt the city. <laughs> No, we're going to anaphylactic shock. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's a fun cool. thing for anyone playing at home. If you want to assassinate me, just feed me chilies. I will die. Good to know and put out there on the airwaves. Please. <laughs> Kill me. Um, I've got some mini I reviews to do. Stop. <laughs> the voices. The voices. The voices. Uh, I'm going to try and rip through some some uh, some mini mini reviews or first impressions, really. So um, Picard mm. season three is out. Um, once again, Patrick the ad Stewart. looks hectic. I keep seeing the <laughs> it is ad for so it. fucking good, mate. Honestly, it's just bringing everyone back together, isn't it? Yeah, but it's 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 now brought actors and characters from mm-hmm. Next Gen, Deep Space yep. Nine, and uh, Voyager together. So last season, and I think the first season, you already had Seven of Nine from Voyager in. No, last mm-hmm. season, season two, they brought Seven of Nine in, um, along with Will Riker and, and Picard, obviously, from from Next Gen. But in this season, they've now brought in, I can't remember who the character was, but it registered that they're from DS9. Uh, and they're also talking about some of the themes from Deep Space Nine, which are quite mm. different. So it really is the glue to bring it all together. Cool. Um, and I've got to say, the look, the special effects are fucking AAA title worthy. Yeah. And Picard, I mean, Patrick Stewart just turns the English word so perfectly. How? Because like, he's got goosebumps and tears in an equal measure. I don't think we'll what I will see much more from him, to be honest. After this, I really don't. Yeah, he's done. Um, he's got to be. It's got to be in his late eighties. He's eighty-two years old. Okay, so early eighties. Yeah, um, but still, he, he's looking frail. He's looking frail. Hmm. And throwing him around in a fucking Star Trek, like. You know, he's doing some somersaults and some ship throw, like some ship explosions throwing him yeah, across. Yeah. And so, anyway, um, moving on, Mando season three. Obviously, we've gotten the first episode. We've seen that second one's out tonight. Hmm. Do you have some thoughts, some some first impressions? I've got Do some. I? I've already shot with you guys. Yeah. Um, I read an article the other day which was condemning the Naboo one, Hot Rod, Starfighter. Oh, really? Okay, that's yes. a weird place to go. No, no, no. no. This is what, it's probably my favourite part of season three so far is the N1. I fucking love it. I've always loved the N1 Starfighter. When I first saw it in episode one, I was like, that is such a cool looking ship. Mm. And having it now as a juiced up Hot Rod, like muscle car version, I'm just like, mm, that's good. <laughs> um, and this dude, and he's he's probably a decent writer. I haven't read any of the. I don't know if I've read any of these other articles, but he was just having a big whinge. He's like, "Oh, it's not it's not good for bounty hunting." It's like, no, because that's not what Mando's doing anymore. Mando's on a quest. Um, it is yeah, the perfect he's- questing vehicle. It's it's fast. It can get you where you need to go. It's got defensive capabilities. But this isn't the bounty hunter Mando. And whether or not that's a good thing, that's a probably entirely separate conversation. 
Um, I, I definitely agree with what you were saying about how it's a bit sucky that we've gone from the bounty hunting Mando to this new kind of hero Mando. No, like, I didn't say that. I don't know who said that, but it wasn't me. Oh, well, okay. Oh. What I what, what I said was I found the episode was terrible. The, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll get I'll uh, get to that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's like it, it, I don't well, maybe, mind maybe the it was this guy's article. Then maybe I'm just I, I don't mind the transformation of the Mandalorian because he couldn't couldn't have started a bounty hunter and ended a bounty hunter with no journey in between. Like it's no, no, no. 100%. Particularly now I, we've got Boba Fett. He's the bounty hunter, and even he's a retired bounty hunter. Really, in in well, he's a the gang, book of Boba. He's a gang lord now. Yeah, gangster lord. Yeah. Um, Maybe it was this article then. Yeah, and it was talking about it. I was like, yeah, cool. I understand that. It was really cool initially for Mando to just be bounty hunting. But it's like that's when you start getting- That's when you'd end up- You'd end up with a a, a show that was- I used to love Supernatural because it was the Mm. monster of the week. It was the bounty of the week kind of thing. But they had only that only lasted for two seasons before they're like, oh no, we've got to keep killing off the brother and bringing him back every other other week. Um, CW, (laughs) well done. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just I I I I think it's I think it's so cool. I fucking love it. That pirate starship scene, the way that, and I I know that they already have a ghost ship in um in Star Wars lore in Rebels that the ship's called the Ghost but I was like damn it that's like the perfect name for that anyone starfighter because it, the way it disappeared behind a meteor and then just peered yeah. back out it's like we'll call it the Phantom then or something I don't know we'll have to do something but yeah um I thought that was super cool but yes I agree the episode just felt chopped it was I don't know if it's bad editing or bad- I think it was definitely probably direct, down to bad editing, but f- it feels like a chunk was taken out in certain points. But even- but So so my complaints were- so and, and to be clear, I'm not talking about the episode being slow in terms of it's the start of a new season, it's an establishing oh, episode, be, so yeah. I've got no problems with that. I've got no problems with pacing. No, there was a good amount of action given that it was an establishing episode. Got, yes. So that's not what I'm complaining about. My complaints were- the acting felt wooden. It felt overacted in places. Like mm. it was just, there'd be a quiet co- like dialogue between two characters, but one would just be over overacting. Um, and then the the conversation between the, uh, Jin and Bo, they would deliver a line, and then the other actor would just stare at them, and then deliver their line, and the uh, and then it'd go back to mm. Jin, who would stare at her, and there'd be like a two three second delay. And then he'd deliver his line back, and it just felt. I again, definitely felt. I definitely felt that um, directing, bad editing, bad acting. Just in terms of that, based. I definitely felt that Kreef Kreef Karga's, um like comedic wrong bit kind of was, flamboyant. Well, not even that, but just his comedic bit where he was like he kept cutting in to explain what the little oh yeah, what the little droid dudes were doing, whatever they called Aberdeen's Aberdeen's. Mm, yeah, I think they called Aberdeen's micro droids. Um, which also makes me think of micro machines for some reason. Um, <laughs> just tiny little cars. Wow, that's a yeah. throwback. Um, they're the bots from inside Soundwave. That's what those aliens are. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> that's a dumb image in my head. Why is my vision in my mind God so knows. accurate? Um, yeah, no, it's just uh, yeah. I I felt that the moments where he was like kept pouring into that little hole, peeping into that little hole, being like, "They're saying this." I was like, "Can you just shut up for a second? Like, 
Mando can clearly understand what they're saying. This isn't. It was funny, maybe the first interaction. I, but yeah, now I giggled a, bit, a couple a of times old. at the start, but it did drag out. But yeah, to me, that was just targeting the show at a younger audience. Mm. There was was that stop motion? Did I detect proper stop motion? That was the highlight for me. It was a sequence, and what, I, I what those dudes. No, no, no. There was a sequence in the middle of the episode, and it's funny because I wrote down stop motion, but I didn't write down what the sequence was. I'm almost sure that one of the anime animation sequences in that episode was old school proper stop motion. And if it was, it's fucking cool that they did that. I'd be I'm very have curious to, go back to know. And, yeah, yeah, very curious to know which, which, which thing you didn't mean. Um, the one thing I didn't like about the pirate ship sequence, because that fight was fucking cool through the, mm. um, through the asteroid field, they found a way to make it feel different from all the other asteroid field sequences we've already seen in Star Wars IP, which is cool. Um, I, mean, I didn't. I like- was disappointed he didn't, he didn't drop a seismic charge. Just- <laughs> that sound is just yeah. so damn good. Um, I did not like the cap, the pirate captain, because it looked like a direct <laughs> ripoff from Oscar Pirates the of the Caribbean. <laughs> no, it was a Pirates of the Caribbean with the fucking octopus. From, oh, no, it was Oscar the Grouch with cellophane <laughs> and a beard. It just it looked terrible. It, it was, yeah. Um, and there's been a fair. Was it Davy Jones? What was his fucking name? In Davy it? Jones was it was Bill Nye played Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean. He yeah, had but the wasn't, squid tentacles. Yeah, that is who I'm thinking of. Then that's yes. the, he. It was a direct rip to me. Yeah, there's been a few few comments online about how shitty the captain was, and it's just like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're they're not wrong. It did look average. Um, hmm. I it's just the- weird because Mando season two was so fucking phenomenally good. Hmm. It just but felt like a weird start to season three. There was a super cool moment which may have gone over your head. I'm not sure because um, mm-hmm. uh, you haven't watched Rebels, have you? No. But we did see the hyperspace whales. Which was a really cool throwback to Rebels. Yeah, no, that I didn't cool. get the reference, but I got the you, beauty, you got the reference without getting the reference kind of yeah. thing. You got the moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was really cool. That's a, that's a big moment for um for the um kid in Rebels. I can't remember his name off the top of my head now. Um, but yeah, that kind of made me think they were force sensitive somehow. They they're meant to be. Yeah, it's it, that was a good like that was a classic Dave Filoni moment. Um, and it's it's just kind of nice because like. Dan and I have talked about how much we loved uh, reading the Mandalorian, like the clone troop, the clone commando books. And it just feels like now between between Mando and Bad Batch, it's finally like Clone Wars kind of fucked up Mandalore. Um, like the Karen Travis version of Mandalore was, it wasn't this bombed out, crystallized, yep. uninhabitable planet. It was rolling hills of green. It was like, it was like the windows, the windows- Desktop. Desktop view. The Windows yeah, yeah, Vista. Yeah. 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 Um, and it kind of feels like we're finally giving Mandalore its due, um, which is which is good because, like, as much as we love Coruscant, as much as we overdo Tatooine, um, Mandalore was such an important part of, big part of, like, Star Wars Old Republic history with the Mandalorian Jedi War um, and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's finally nice to see it be giving... It's it's accurate kind of mm. like proper spotlight, um, yeah. especially when it's come from you know a silent character that you saw in the background of a scene in Return of the Jedi, and it's just like this entire 
beautiful culture has grown out of it. Um, so that's that's kind of cool, um, which I'm going to roll into. Into I'm going to do a mini review of, of the Bad Batch so far. Um, yeah, cool. Do that. Um, before you do that, because I'll I'll do um, Last of Us last before we go to break. So so jump. It'll in be in the last of us review. Um, what I was going to say is um, the one thing we can thank episode one of season three Mando for is some fucking phenomenally funny memes. The some of the memes that have come out of that episode oh, the, were the, the, fantastic. The like upgrade oh, look, it's a- of um, Grief Carga's cloak. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that. That was uh, uh, the Florida baptism. Like, why would you baptize your fucking little baby Mandos in in alligator infested fucking waters? Um, yeah, there's been quite a good, quite a, quite a few very funny memes that have come out. I think they're plastered all over Reddit at the moment. I mean, that was also a really cool scene as well. Um, the, I I I did agree with something I saw, which was it just seemed like the armor. It also the armor being the the gold helmed mm-hmm. Mandalorian armorer. Um, she flipped her view since we last saw her. In what sense? So she in Boba Fett was always like, "You need to go to Mandalore to yeah. bathe in the waters." Yeah, and now she was and saying, now that she's it's like, no "Don't go." Going. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit weird. It was a bit weird. It was. It was kind of like writers weren't talking to each other, kind of thing. And I've got to be honest, this whole "You're not a, thou shalt not show your face" is getting a little long in the tooth now. Oh, but that's like, that is, yes, but it that is, is not actually part of core Mandalorian beliefs. It's only the zealots death that, watch. yeah, it, it is, yeah, the Death Watch. Well, is it Death Watch? Because Bo was attached to Death Watch in Clone Wars, wasn't she? Yeah, but she broke apart from. So it's it's meant to they're meant to be a a, a sect within the sect of Death Watch. It's kind of that yeah, kind of. So they're down. the zealot fanatics, basically. Yes, they're religious fanatics. Because um, if you actually look at the Clone Wars series. Pre Vizsla, who was the Death Watch leader of Concordia, mm. always took his fucking helmet off. Mm. Who's meant to mm. be the the big minigun Mandalorian? It's yeah. meant to be like his ancestor, right? Yeah, right. I feel like I need like the the um the chart with the red red like rope to be like this, this Mandalorian connected to this Mandalorian. They yeah, this. but that'd just make you crazy. Look like you know more obviously crazy. Um, I did like the Cara Dune. Firing reference, like she's recruited by. Oh, special she's in black forces. ops now. We can't talk about her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had to take a Twitter account away, and we sent her off to fight in the war. It's uh, really a shame because, okay. like, in in my lead up to season three being um, released, the night before I was at home and I watched um, the two episodes of um, season two. So I watched the Boba Fett episode. Mm-hmm. Let's call it that. It's the one on the mountain with the when Grogu, the tragedy, I think is the actual name of the episode, when Grogu gets taken by um, the Empire. And then I watched the following one, which is the Bill Burr episode, which is definitely yep. one of the best episodes of season yep. two. Um, the way Bill Burr goes through that without doing anything except just his entire facial movements moving. And he's just like, I'm going to fucking kill you, you absolute. <laughs> C-bomb. Yep. Yes. Um, so I watched those two because I'd also, I'd watched the, the, the rescue episode so many times and I've seen every YouTube variation of Luke's entrance <laughs> down the hall, um, yeah. to every yeah. musical entrance as well, because that's where my YouTube goes. Um, yeah. So I was just like watching those and I was like, I know we complained about those two episodes of Boba Fett being so Mando centric, 
But I kind of feel like they did that in season two and we let it slide. Like, they were pretty Boba Fett heavy. Yeah, they, they were. But they weren't dedicated. I know there's a difference because- and I can hear Dan here going, ah, da, 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 da. I was like, no, Dan, I understand. <laughs> you know, in Boba Fett, they really just, they didn't show Boba Fett for one of those episodes and focused entirely on Mando and Grogu. Yeah. But it's like still like the tragedy episode, while it was like there was the plot of Grogu being taken, most of that episode was focused around Boba being a badass, getting his armor back. And then being even more of a badass and then shooting down those two ships with his rocket and walking away from the explosion like a hero. Like mm. that was the, you know, that was the thing. Um, and the second episode was very much like a, yeah, it's it's like Boba was around, but it was, it was still felt a bit Boba centric kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then in my opinion, and I know you and Dan don't share this, they shat the bed with when he got his own fucking season. No, Dan, Dan should definitely shares that. that yeah. Okay. View. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it, but I, I liked the idea of a retired Boba Fett. I think Dan just- I enjoyed the concept. Yeah, Dan just wanted, Dan wanted prime Boba Fett. And I might be putting words in his mouth now, and I'll accept that. And he can yell at me in the chat when he finally listens to this. But it was like, yeah, I, I get we all wanted prime Boba Fett, but- you- I was cool with him turning into the gang lord. I was cool with it. Yeah. I just thought the execution was piss poor. I just really, really- hmm. Anyway, um, you wanted- so, Sorry, you wanted to talk about- Bad Batch. Bad Batch. Bad Batch so season, season two. Season two. Season um, two, sorry. The, the best thing about this is, um, so this is post Ball of the Republic. So this is this is right into the, the formation of the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, the first season was kind of like, oh, where do we stand? This season, they really started it as, we're mercs. We're now mercenaries for hire. We work for Sid, who's a Trandoshan, but we, we're essentially her kind of go-to guys. But that's because she knows who we are. She could rat us out. Yep. We don't really trust her, but we trust her. So we're going to keep working with her. Um, and season one, and this is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it. Nope, I'm not going to say it because um, you haven't seen okay. it. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, oh, I'm, it's, cool if, I'm cool if no, you No, no, no. It's, it's very key. It's very key. Okay. Um, I can talk about it without, without spoiling it. So um, the thing that's really been a bit slow in this season was it's kind of gone back to that like adventure of the week kind of thing so like one of the episodes early on is <laughs> is almost a direct ripoff of the pod racing scene from episode one okay. which i loved i absolutely yeah. loved and i was messing down being like this is the greatest episode of bad batch ever and he's like calm down <laughs> like take have a glass of water yeah. tom Big breathe cool. Big yeah. Cool. yeah um but it's now taken nine 10 episodes, wherever they're up to. I'd have to look at what they're up to right now, the latest one. Um, it's taken a fair chunk of the season for them to actually get a bit of um, traction and actually make it feel a bit more like uh, they're into – they're halfway through the season, yeah. Okay. But just getting a bit of traction to, and actually feel a bit meaty kind of thing. Mm. Um but you know what's going to happen now is they're just going to hit that absolutely running. So there's like just a massive, yeah. So they're, they're, they're hitting up the clone conspiracy um, is the general kind of field of vision, um, which you've seen in other Star Wars media mm-hmm. before. Um, and it's it's almost well, really the, kind of cool. because That's the end of Clone Wars. The last couple of yeah, seasons. Yeah, it's, it's coming it's straight back to that, which is obviously if Filoni, like Filoni loves that and he wants to explore it as much as he can. But it's like this- 
that one in, in the Clone Wars kind of felt more connected to the formation of the Empire. Yeah. This feels like and it's And they were chasing after the Jedi that, that got killed by... Sifidias. Yeah. Sifidias yeah. is who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And they spent a long, long time in Clone Wars, middle seasons, talking about that. Yes, they did. Yeah. This is actually kind of... This actually... What they're talking about now really feels like it's... It's talking about how it's kind of trying to justify the most recent trilogy and like the Palpatine element to it. Oh, why bother? Why waste your breath? Well, that was actually a really cool part of the expanded universe in the books. There was like there was the expanded a, universe the, runs circles around the latest trilogy, though. Like, yeah, the latest yeah, yeah. trilogy. I mean, that's was the just thing. They should have just they should have just adapted the expanded universe. Yes, they should have. And and funnily Everyone enough, that is what Filoni that. is there's, slowly there's, doing. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's it's him finally trying to make up the mistakes of. It's not him making Lucas. up his own mistakes. It's him cleaning up the messes of J.J. Abrams, kind of thing. But it's like, <laughs> well, I don't know how much you can lay at the feet of Abrams versus Lucas, but. Yeah, I can blame I mean, who I want to blame. Even, um, when even Hamill's saying it's a fucking piece of shit, then maybe it's time that we just pause, take a breath, and reassess. Yeah, I mean, there's no de- there's no denying they should have just adapted the expanded universe for no, yeah. but for Lucasfilm itself to come in and say that's not real anymore, that was their first big mistake. Because they also just yeah, true. They slapped the face of every Star Wars fan who kept that. But that was back when Lucas was running things and Lucas wanted to say, no, I'm the authority on my universe and I've allowed all of this expanding universe to to occur while I'm getting royalties from it, but now I'm ready to flop my cock out and write three new films that you must watch. I declare it all non-canon. No, no, it was the the Disney introduction. No, that happened. I'm, I'm certain that was before Disney. No, no, it was the Disney takeover, the expanded universe. That was one of the things that fell with the with the Disney takeover. We're getting down distracted now. We are. Hole. Sorry, my um, apologies. The, 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 I the may import- well be wrong. It happens yeah. every day. But the the Thrawn trilogy in the books is the Thrawn trilogy. Yeah, because there's a, there's two plots in the Thrawn trilogy of books. Great books if you haven't read them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. There's there's Han and Leia, and various other characters are doing. Rebellion-esque and like New Republic stuff against Thrawn, who's the the remnant and the Empire and stuff. Uh, but- sorry, just I I was right. April April 2014, Lucasfilm declared content to be non-canon, organized under the Legends banner in preparation for Star Wars sequel trilogy. It was when all did about Disney the trilogy. Take over? Uh, Disney. When did Disney change Star Wars canon? Shortly after the purchase of Lucasfilm in 2012. So I suppose you could probably argue we're both right. We are both right. There we go. Win for everyone. Also, something's on fire somewhere close by. So if I have to run, I'll let you know. Just put it out. <laughs> no, not in my room. Um, yes, but the Thrawn trilogy went when the, when the two sides. Dan would be loving this right now. He'd be so nerdy. Um, where is he? Um, no, and then the other side of it was Luke dealing with this... Um, Clone conspiracy and like cloning of the Emperor, which they butchered when they brought him back in Rise of Skywalker. It was based on Expanded Universe. It was obviously written so much better. Um, it had a lot more runway in the books. It did. To, and, to and make it make sense and not yeah. feel ham fisted. Yes. Um, but this is what it feels like it's doing because Filoni brought back Thrawn in Rebels. So it feels like he was obviously a massive fan of those books and he's slowly being like, 
you were wrong. Let me put it back in place. <laughs> yeah, there we, we go. get back. Everything's yeah. okay. It's all standing up. But yeah, so it's it's exciting now because we're we're finally getting like I was enjoying the episode to episode. Like Dan and I watch them. We both watch them on Saturday mornings now, and we kind of message being like, "Have you watched it yet?" Like we we talk about it, and it's like we both have the same kind of like that was sick, that was sick, that was a bit mm, whatever. Mm. Um, it's but it's finally feels like the season's getting its direction, which is a bit of a shame. It's taken half of the second season for that to happen. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for you as well to get stuck into it. And it's um yeah, and it's it's just gonna play a larger part, especially it's it's gonna enrich your Mando experience as well if you haven't if, yeah, you know, for yeah. people who are I, and that. I look I do need to go back. I need to watch Bad Batch. I also need to watch Rebels. I have every intention of watching Rebels at some point. I know they're very different and non-sequential, but I need to cover both. Rebels is kind of the same thing where it's like probably skip the first season because it's still too kitty. They did the same problem. It's like they go too kiddie with the cartoon and they realize, yeah. oh, shit, our main fan base for this series, again, is 35-plus males. <laughs> yeah, people that grew up with it. Yeah. Duh. We should probably make it more adult. God, there's the smell of really strong bushfire, and I live next to bushland. Anyway, um, till the room starts getting weirdly smoky, I'll, I'll be fine, I'm sure. I wanted to cover, and I need to tread really carefully here, so I'm going to do my best to cover The Last of Us. TV series, we, we we have one more episode to go for the rest of the season, mm-hmm. but unless they take a really strange turn that's completely different to the other eight episodes we've already had, everything I'm going to say will still hold true after the last episode. I'm also waiting until the final episode to get the opinion of Ben and Ed, both friends of the show that have been on it, mm-hmm. uh, who are two people that are both watching it and have never played the video game because I want to see if their I opinions never differ. The video game. Oh. It's my I understanding. Knew, I knew Ben hadn't, but I didn't, I didn't know if Ed had Yeah, no, that's I'm pretty pretty sure. No, Ed confirmed actually on chat. Um, so I'm really interested to see how, how what Bad their opinions person. are having not played the game. Mm. But I'm going to do my best to keep this spoiler free. You're the only person that I may fuck it up for because if you tell me something's a spoiler, I'm going to edit it out for everyone else. So I'm going to do my best. Well, I won't be able to watch it. I'm waiting for it to all finish to watch it in one hit kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And look, look, I can't really spoil the story because the story's already written. You've either played the video game or you haven't, but either way, I'm not going to talk about the the core storyline content, which is... Mm. The TV series is true to the video game in terms of its core themes. Right. It is still a coming-of-age story because mm-hmm. that's what the original the original game has elements of coming-of-age. Ellie is growing up and she's discovering who she is. It just happens to be set in a post-apocalyptic zombie fucking universe. Yeah, and at the same time, yeah. it's also Joel discovering who he can be. Like it's yes, a re- it's, realization it's, story as well. Yeah, it's 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 Joel's... It's a father-daughter story in that sense mm. and, and Joel's redemption from the yeah. dark place that he went um, and the the beauty and the darkness in those two core themes 100% exist and are perfectly told in the TV show. Mm. And I am so happy that they've done the original core storyline justice. So the way I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Yep. And this this is just something I've seen through Sony's marketing and like I have like criticisms that. too, so I'm just yeah. going to put that out there yeah, while yeah, you yeah. ask a question. Um, and it's one of the things I actually saw. In, it was an interview with Neil Druckmann, who's the creator, and he was saying that this was the 
perfect chance for them to not just tell the game story again, which is it's a dual story. It's, which it's they Ellie, have. It's Ellie and Joel. Well, tell it, but at the same time, they're able now to do a bit more like three-dimensional view on it mm-hmm. where they get to spend more time with the characters that you don't necessarily get to spend more time with. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, And do s- you feel like that is a good thing or a bad thing? That is my question for you, Peter, actually. So my second point partially answers the question. Um, my second point, the second thing that I noted, Dan, was that they have – there are exquisite extensions to the original content. Mm-hmm. And it is the type of perfect harmony between the original video game IP and the TV show IP. There is no um, – you, you get discontinuities in, in um, storytelling sometimes between video game and a, and a movie or a video game and a TV show or even, mm. even a TV show based on a movie. You get these discontinuities where you can understand why the vehicle of storytelling is different and it necessitated them telling the story differently in the new media, yeah. but their expansion of a character just feels it, it's not in harmony with the character that already established. It, it's not a, a continuation of their personality or they do something that you know that the video game character would never fucking do in a million years. Hmm. And so because Neil Druckmann's been involved in both writing the video game story and the TV show story, Mm. when he decides to spend a whole episode focusing on something new, that something new 100% perfectly fits with the video game. You could totally see how that content would have fit into the video game world. Yeah. You can also very easily understand why they've had to change the way that they've told the story. They don't have, in the video game, and I mentioned this to, to Sui, actually, who has played the video games, funnily enough. In the, in the video game, quite a lot of the background story and the background, like the fabric of the world that the story is being told in, is delivered to you in the form of notes that you pick up yeah. throughout the game. Yeah. If you read them. Sui doesn't fucking read them, yeah, so he never got that backdrop, right? In, in, a, in a TV show, you can't have a miles where of the notes on the screen, up the screen and, it, it zooms and in, starts yeah. reading it out, right? Yeah. So, so instead, you have to actually bring those characters to life that happen in the notes. So you need to tell mm. those stories in a different way. And so I can understand the mechanics behind why they've had to extend the, the content as well, mm-hmm. and they've done it just so perfectly. And here's where my criticism comes in. Okay. The pacing. The pacing is the complete opposite end of the spectrum from The Walking Dead, which you can argue is a similar-ish backdrop universe. Mm. Post, you know, we're still talking zombies. They're different kinds of zombies, sure, but they're still it's a zombie post-apocalyptic world. And Walking Dead took nine seasons to tell a pretty fucking basic story, and it did it slow as shit. Yes, there are whole seasons. It's like they don't know, leave it's a farm. A, it's to me, it's cl- it's the description of of the Lord of the Rings trilogy out of Clerks Two, and I'm not agreeing with that description from Clerks Two, but it's just like The Walking Dead. We spent the whole season walking between the the fucking the first campsite and the second campsite. That was season two, yay! And then we spent the whole of season two in the farm, and mm. then we spent all of season three in the prison, and it's just it's slow as fuck. The The Last of Us have to- told a forty plus hour video game story in the space of eight or nine hour-ish episodes. And to me, it's they could have done it in two seasons. It feels it's too fast. rushed. Yeah, okay. It It's not quite rushed. You don't go, oh, shit, I feel like 
I didn't understand that plot point. It's not that kind of rushed. It's that knowing the video game lore, yeah. I know that they could have spent more time exploring this. How long are the and episodes? I, uh, they vary, but about an hour. So they're not stingy. They're not 35-minute episodes like Mando Season 3, Episode 1. Um, <laughs> but do you feel like it there. would be better if they'd done- Because how many episodes is it? It's 10? So, uh, nine episodes for season one. Let me uh, and yep. fifty minutes average. Let me just say, you never get to the end of the episode and and feel like fuck. They should have spent an extra ten minutes in this episode, or an extra this this should have been a ninety minute ep. And when it was only a fifty minute, you never have that feeling. I, feel I was actually going to go the opposite. Would you have preferred it to then been maybe say fifteen episodes that were a bit shorter? I would have preferred them instead of trying to, well, not try. They have successfully told the entire first yeah, video yeah. game story in one season of nine eps. I wish they had told it over two seasons. Would you still have had 50-minute episodes or would you have had short? I would have kept it. No, no, no. Like I said, the episode length feels perfect for the amount of story they're biting off, but I know they've skipped a whole bunch of really cool shit that they, they could have explored more. Hmm. Well, they could have spent- two episodes on telling this particular subplot instead of one. So the episodes don't feel rushed. The yes. story okay. arc feels a bit rushed to me. The other, the second complaint I've got is one of the things Neil Druckmann said at the start is you don't see as much violence and you don't see as many of the infected as you do in the video games. No. Instead, you see the result. And when you do see violence on screen- it's shockingly aggressive violence as a way of kind of balancing against the lack of it. Right. More impactful. But, yes. And, 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 and I can tell that they, and look, they succeeded. My complaint though is there just ain't enough infected in a show about zombies. There just aren't enough of them. It's not an existential threat pushing the plot. Okay. The whole, yeah. the whole core storyline for The Last of Us is- we have the chosen one. She mm. is the cure. We mm. need to get her to the MacGuffin mm. so everybody can solve this crisis of, of, you know, humanity. And yet, you're kind of- Are you messaging me to say that was a spoiler? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. I'm actually looking- I was actually going to look up how many infected fights there were in the game. Well, the whole really thing is one continuous fight. Unless you're either fighting humans or you're or you're running from infected. yeah yeah but like infected. there's hundreds of clickers yeah yeah, yeah. I was just I was just, I just it was a curiosity thing it was like it, to see if someone had done a thing where they how many infected the in the game how many infected are in the series yeah I just I look there's some memes I can tell you that there's some memes I mean there's a meme about for it. everything oh that's true but I I laughed at it because it, it hit home so well yeah um look The Walking Dead. You can level similar accusations at The Walking Dead in the sense that, that the zombies were an existential threat for the first two or three seasons, and then after that it all focused on the human element. It was the bad and human element. And then occasionally they threw in a horde that you had to- Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, it's different in The Last of Us. It's mm. when, when the infected are on screen, they are fucking scary. They did such a great job of conveying that, that immediacy and the real risk of these things. And they Which was the real threat gruesome. that we, like, I know that Dan and I said, like, that we were worried about, like, how can you, like, that urgency and that stress moment of, like, seeing and one on screen. And when they're on can, screen, yeah. they did a fantastic job amazing, of conveying yeah. it. But 
the whole episodes, I would say more episodes contained zero infected than contained any infected. Yeah, okay. That's unfortunate. And to me, that's problematic. It's not a deal breaker. Like I said at the start, Yeah, you know, my my, uh, critical statements coexist with my positive statements that they did a phenomenal job of retelling the story. And they mm. really have. It's been a very sensitive way, way of dealing with it, you know, even down to the stuff that we talked about before The Last of Us TV even started. We said one of our concerns was, are they going to do a decent job of telling the story about him? The pedophile guy who tries to David. rape Ellie. David, sorry. What did I say? Adam. David. Um, and I can I can confirm they did a perfect job of, of telling his story. They did not tell it, it verbatim. But they, what's, what's amazing about it, I will say, is they have hit the exact same story beats mm. as they did in the game, but they haven't, they haven't told the story verbatim. Yeah, okay. Which I found really impressive. Um, did you, did you uh, look, I've seen the screenshots of um, the latest episode, uh, yep. which had David in it. Did you notice his little counterpart, who he was? Troy Baker? Yeah. Did I? He was the voice of Joel. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, think, I, I think that's so cool. They brought him back in like a different well, role. Yeah. Well, they've brought quite a few characters back. So the chick. Oh, that, cool. Uh, we we talked about um that last episode, I think, and I floundered I for her this. name, and I felt really bad about it. Um, she was she played the leader of the Fireflies. In oh yeah. The game. No, okay. Yeah, I remember that now. The yeah, African American yeah, yeah. actress. Yep. Um. So she reprised her role. Um, uh, Troy Baker comes back playing a different character, and uh, the character uh, Ashley, who plays Ellie in the video game, is also in the last episode of the, of the TV series as a different. Oh, is character. she? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, apparently, it's and and she comes in a, another really cool way because it's cool how they integrated Troy Baker. Yeah, as yeah. like the two IC of of um, of David. Hmm. I just. And Jeffrey Pierce, I think there was at least one other actor from the video game that made, or voice actor from the video mm-hmm. game that made it into the series. So I thought that was really respectful of Neil to bring them in. Yeah, I think I think it's a great thing. Yeah, um, but overall, it's not it's not just doing the uh, Nolan North on the beach in Uncharted <laughs> moment. No. no, 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 that was that's while more the a slap theme, in the while face. The theme plays in the background underneath <laughs> what he's saying. Yeah, that was terrible. Um, I mean, if you're going to hand fist anything, that's the perfect way to do it. Bella Ramsey, anyone who says that she's not a good Ellie, I just, I vigorously disagree. Yeah. disagree. She is not a, she doesn't look anything like Ellie, but her sassiness. And and then that is one other criticism before I wrap that's this up. That's one of the best things about the first game was that as you're going through this entire dystopian, you know, post-apocalyptic world, Ellie's you there this making sassy fucking-, fucking- Preteen turning into a teen, yeah, and and making really bad dad jokes from the joke book, like yeah, that's one of the best moments. So I can confirm that 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 her attitude. So the actress Bella mm. Ramsey, their attitude, and she's she, yeah. Now she said her pronouns were okay. She she uses all pronouns. She has um, yeah. gender dysphoria, but but um, but she uses all all pronouns. Mm. Um, she. Perfectly conveys the sassy character or the sassy personality from Ellie in the video game 
one other criticism I would level at the at the TV series is in order for them to tell other parts of the story more effectively and to extend those those perfect extensions I was talking about earlier mm. almost take away too many video game sassiness moments from Ellie's character. So yeah, while okay. she still conveys yeah. that personality and she does it very effectively, mm. she's afforded a lot less opportunities to demonstrate that personality quirk because they've changed other parts of the storytelling and those other parts gave her those opportunities in the video game. And that feels like it's probably what you're leading to in terms of the rushing of the story kind of thing. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. I, th- I think everybody knows now because of the media coverage that they spent a whole episode telling the story of Bill left behind. Oh, Bill, yeah, yeah, Bill, Bill. Yeah. So the, in in the video game, Bill's the. It's established that he's it's post. It's the level post Boston. Like it's a decent sized level, but they don't focus on Bill. Yeah, they don't focus on Bill. But Ellie's interactions with Bill were fucking hilarious in the yeah, video yeah. game. And it really allowed her to demonstrate how fucking sassy she was. She had mm. she backchatted the shit out of him, and he was the first character where Bill in the video game would just turn around and and turn to Joel and say, "Like, are you going to shut this little little twerp up or what?" Like, yeah, there yeah. were a couple of perfect moments there. In the TV series, she never interacts with him. Ah, instead, they dedicated a whole episode to telling the story of Bill and his partner. What was his partner's name? Is it David? Because he was it was established in the video game that he yeah, was in a, yeah, yeah. in a gay relationship and the the husband had left for some reason. They'd had a fight and the husband had left. Hmm. Um, and I won't spoil what happens in the video game, but in the TV series, they instead spend a whole episode focused on that relationship and it is a beautiful like exposition of their story. And it was yeah. so well handled, but it denied the opportunity for Ellie to ever interact with Bill. Now that you you might consider that a s- slight spoiler, I don't know. I might have to cut that. No. Nah. Um, but that's the kind of like the extensions that's a bit, were that's a bit disappointing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 The extensions in the storyline were exquisite. They were seamless. They were perfectly handled by Neil Druckmann. Hmm. They never never took away from character establishment from the video games, but it hmm. did deny some interactions that I missed. And I felt yeah, like okay. it happened two or three times with two or three very specific characters that Ellie interacts with in the game hmm. that she doesn't interact with in the same manner in the TV series, and I think that was a miss. And if they had yeah, paced okay. it slower, if they'd done two seasons... They would have had do you really think two seasons time. or do you think like a season and a half kind of scenario? Because this is what it feels like. I, I like, And this is maybe me inferring you what you're saying. but I, G- Given how I, perfectly they've managed to expand the content. Yeah, okay. I, I hear what you're saying. You probably couldn't have taken I'm two I'm just worried that you, what you're saying about how slow. they've avoided the Walking Dead slowness. If they yes. did two seasons in game one, it would be- That's when you'd actually start to go, like, your review would be more like- They've it's too fucking slowness. Yeah. 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 yeah um, you're right, I think, except that they've demonstrated that when they need to expand IP, expand the mm. established IP, they do it in a really good, sensitive, interesting way. Yeah. Look, that whole Bill, David, I'm pretty sure it is David that he's in a relationship Probably. with. Yeah. That whole, that whole relationship episode is ex- like entirely new content. Mm. And it was perfectly executed and it was interesting and it was worth the episode to invest in that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So if you did do it out over two two seasons, they they wouldn't would have had to come up with maybe two or three extra episodes worth of content. And Neil's already demonstrated that he can do that effectively in an interesting way. Man, I don't think he, it would have felt could too do, slow. If he could have done an entire episode of, I mean, it'd be exhausting to watch. But if he could have done an entire episode of just like that, there's one particular clicker fight that stands out for me in the first game, and it's it's when you are in the abandoned skyscraper and there's like one desk you can hide behind. It's actually your first clicker experience. It's your memory. real, yeah. But when you're doing it on grounded mode, it's just like, yeah. it's just like, I remember. Fuck. And, and um, I'm almost certain it is the first clicker you encounter in the game because you'd already in- encountered plenty of infected, but I'm pretty sure that was the first that clicker. That was the, yeah, yeah. Cause, and you have such limited resources because you've gone through like a bit of a chase scene before and it was like yep. encouraging you to like fire off some bullets. You're like, oh, I should save so- these. And- but like, if you manage to do an entire episode of that, like, I know, like, we talked about how like hard that would be to like get across. But it's like, if you can keep that tension for a forty minute episode, it'd be like people would have to have therapy sessions afterwards to be like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, I just can't. But breathe. they missed, but they missed whole sections of the game too, right? So there was no warehouse, there was no bookshop in the, yeah, in right. the TV show. That was a whole sequence in the video game. Yeah, there was the the, the bookshop, bookshop, two level bookshop warehouse that you fight all the the humans in yeah that's not in the tv series that's um, after the ambush isn't it yes yeah yeah it's after pittsburgh so yes. pittsburgh fucking pittsburgh Steelers, you dogs um <laughs> there was a lot of infected fights that were missed hmm. there was the crowded highway sequence where yeah, you have yeah. to walk through all the park cars all of that's not in the tv series oh, okay so there's plenty of content that they could have re-included you know what that what probably saying. is because that shot if you think about the crowded highway parked cars scene mm-hmm. that was used so many well, it's been used in every single zombie-ish it has but yeah the other thing well and you've got hang on there's also another key element that just occurred to me mm. there is no part of the show really that that addresses it's Rough, mentioned yeah. that ellie can't swim well no there's no shiv doors in the in the tv series it's mentioned that ellie can't swim but it's never a problem in yeah, okay. the TV yeah. series, it was a massive problem in yeah, yeah, the video yeah. game. There was there were three or four major game mechanics that you had to use to work around that problem in the mm. in the game. None of it made it its way into the movie, and all of the sequences that included that are completely missing. So there's no sewer section in the TV series. Mm. There is a sewer section, but there's not the sewers from the video game. So it's yeah. big open underwater yeah, yeah. areas. Yeah. They could easily have done two seasons. Is what I'm saying. Because yeah, all okay. of that was excised. And whilst that content may not have been interesting in and of itself, you think about all of the interactions between Joel and Ellie whilst those video game sequences were happening. Mm. That's when you're establishing who Ellie is. Yeah, and the kind of like father protective figure that Joel is. Yeah. Some of the some of the jokes were at the end of that car sequence with all the parked cars on the freeway that was blocked just before the ambush from the humans. Mm. Um, she was telling jokes out of a book. Yeah. All of that's gone. All of those interactions with Joel are gone. Now, the relationship with Joel and Ellie is well described in the TV show and they do that very well. Yeah, okay. But it's not it's not explored nearly as much. Yeah, right. So all in all, mm. the one thing I will say overall, they have proven that it is possible to tell a video game story in a TV series, do it justice, and do it effectively. Yes. It is easily the best adaptation I've ever seen. Well, yeah, I saw a thing from Corey Barog today as well that he was like, 
they've really set the bar high. We really need to make sure that God of War yeah, Amazon yeah. works. I saw the same. I saw the headliner. Yeah. Didn't read any article around it, but yeah, they have proven it is possible to do this properly. I think the uh, this would be an interesting question for you. Then, do you think it's do you think this is proof then that it's the video game curse for you know they talk about the video game curse for movies, but is it just it's the medium of movies like they should all just have been TV shows? I think you and I and Dan have spoken about that not too long ago, actually. That you oh, I mean, I, I firmly believe that, yeah. Yeah, you can't effectively tell a video game story in a 90-minute movie or a two-hour movie yeah. or a two-and-a-half-hour movie. You just can't. And if you try and cram it into a three-hour movie, by the time you finish telling the story, the audience is fucking exhausted mm. and you just don't have the impact or the pacing that you get. You, you don't play a video game in one 40-hour sitting. And so in order for p- video game pacing to work... It has to be a shit ton of two or three hour stories, and it mm. has to. The plot needs to drive away, drive along in a way that you can put it down, and pick it back up again tomorrow. Yeah. And you still feel like you've achieved something from each play section, and you still feel like you want to come back to it for the next play section. Mm. Mm-hmm. Movies aren't paced like that. New no. movies have a three act standard approach. Yeah. So yeah, whereas TV series, you've got nine. Beginning, middles, and ends. It's a mm. lot. Sim- it's a lot closer to video game pacing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm fully on board with the idea mm. that they should just abandon movies. I know maybe movies make the money or whatever if they if they're good, but it's like you know, uh, it's just yeah. If you think about TV shows and the way they're they're built and yeah, as you said, crafted, it's it's definitely leaning to more towards that um that video game pacing. Um, yeah, the conversion. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I did watch The Northman finally. Northman, remind me. What's Viking, that? angry Viking. Nicole oh, yeah, Kidman. yes, yes, yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. And thoughts? Uh, and this is purely because Dan isn't here to rebuttal me and I'm going to say it <laughs> um, to fuck with him and I know you're going to listen to it, Dan. I'm going to get right in close to the mic for this one. Um, I thought it was a brilliant film. I thought the actors were were all quite exceptional. Um, I can see what you mean about Nicole Kidman's work and that it was a bit jarring and weird. Um, yeah. But I really thought it was a very bold and brave choice that uh, the director took um, to base the final fight scene in the lava pit um, mm-hmm. and just to take inspiration with, from one of the, the greatest round. films of the 20th century, which is Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> so that was great. Yeah. You're not here to rebuttal me, Dan. This is beautiful. <laughs> there's, there's no high ground in that sequence, though. No, no. I mean, that's why they both lost. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Yeah. Anyway, and, I think uh, on that note, I think we should probably take a break because I can hear Dan having an aneurysm from here. Yeah, <laughs> he's not even recording. Plus, I'm getting thirsty. Here. Let's yes. be honest. We'll be back in just a mo. Hey, and we're back. Yes. And more exciting than ever. Yes, we are. Perfectly poured, as usual, Thomas. Well done. <laughs> Jolly good show. It's like I pour beers for a living or something like that. Something stupid. All something. Something stupid. Do you want to talk about your beer? Or do I you want to just do. talk about I how have great gone the across the ditch this beer? I've journeyed to the beautiful land of New Zealand, which I long for deeply in my soul of souls um, to go back to. Uh, I am having an eight wide, 
Uh, we've had Ed Wyatt on the brewery, um, brewery numerous before. times. Fucking hell, I dumb idiot. Um, this is called the uh, King Snake West Coast IPA. It's six point three percent. Comes in a beautiful four forty mil can. Look at that. Six point three. Did you say? Sorry. Six point three. It's got rattlesnake. Does yes. Um, we recently got a, a new shipment of eight wide beers at uh, at the the shop. Um, I didn't was, see them when I was shopping them. That's because probably the lazy. Oh, sorry, uh, I haven't put it up on the website yet. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Now I got to bleep it out. Oh, um, come on, it was what one minute in. We could probably just start yeah. again. No, no, no. <laughs> um, by the way, you need to sack your fucking courier company, man. They picked up my order today and told me it wouldn't be at my house until Friday, and it's like, pretty sure I can throw a rock. At- anyway. Yes. Don't get me started on couriers, please. We'll have an oh, hour. I wasn't going to name and ranting. shame them. Oh yeah, we will. Um, I was supposed to have been fantastic couriers, please. Pick up your fucking game if any of you are listening. Um, anyway, uh, this is the Eight Wide King Snake West Coast IPA. Uh, it is full of delicious Centennial, Simcoe, and Columbus hops, um, which makes for a very bright and, as they say, bold ale. Um, mm. Look at that. That is a beautiful West Coast color. It is yeah. lovely color. Um, it's filled well, the room already as I've cracked it and poured it. It just, there's a lovely hoppy, piney, dank aroma, um, filling the room and knowing eight wide and their ability to create a damn good West coast. Just let stop it. Um, <laughs> sorry. He's whining at the door. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I've got a cat in a cupboard at the moment. She walks into the dead end wardrobe that has nothing in it. She spends 20 minutes making noise and then she walks back out. Fair I don't enough. know why she does it. She does it five times a day. I, I get that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, that is a classic West Coast. It is. It is like even for six point three percent, it is like very quaffable. Quaffable. What a great quaffable weight word. Great word. It is a quaffable. Great word. Is what brings us together today. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's love. True love. Super, super, <laughs> super light malt. But, well, not super light malt. It is it's a light malt base, um, which I think is just helping to bring those hop characters forward. Mm. Yeah, well done. Uh, eight wide, as usual. Um, and I'll give that a solid, uh, that's a solid four out of five. That is that is delicious. Excellent. Cracking. Peter, what are you consuming? Das ist gut. I am drinking a Brick Lane brewing beer this evening mm. called The Revolver. Which is a dark hoppy ale. It's basically a a, a dark IPA, black IPA. It's, let me see what it's actually classified as. It's just it's a dark ale, five point eight percent. It is very dark. It almost looks like a, it looks like a porter on camera, but it's actually mm. a little bit ruby red. No, it's definitely not red. It is definitely brown. Brown. Um, brown. Yes, and it is. It's basically a black IPA. It's really hoppy. It's nice and floral on the nose. Um, it's got it's hop forward, mm. but it's got a real solid um, dark malt backbone. Yeah. Finishing up with a black IPA, so I can't wait. Nicely bitter um, chocolate coffee, but not the difference. What separates this from, say, a porter or a stout is. It's a lot thinner in it's like it's not as strong in terms of those those darker notes. You don't mm. get that roasty roastiness punch you in the mouth. It's there, but it's not 
It's not loud. It's not screaming at you. Um, but it is an excellent balance. Um, 5.8%, I think that's a solid ABV for it. it. Probably they could have bumped it maybe maybe a few percentage. Yeah. yeah a few percentage. They could have done it at six, six and a half, and I think it would have been fine. But um, that's an excellent fucking beer. Good solid bitterness rounding it off too. Mm. Just looking at uh, looking it, looking at it. I've lost the ability to speak. It's that good. Looking at it on Untapped, uh, imagine the hop aroma as kind of a Jungian anima, not an anima, to an otherwise peculiar old man style of beer. Dark and comforting, while yeah. reminiscent of summertime anima fruit and man, warm it? weather. Does does? Mm. Uh, no, that's excellent. I'm going to give that a four and a half. Cool. Yeah, yeah. These are the guys that do stouts well. I mean, these are the trilogy well, of fear I looked, fillers. I, I just looked up the yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I just looked up their looked up the Bricklane Revolver, and they have a vanilla porter version. Ooh, yeah. But then they Ooh. have this, which it's different branding, different style can to the Revolver, which is yeah, dark hoppier, which makes me think of like a hopped. Makes uh, kind of like just looking at it makes me think of. The motorcycle it's an IPA oil with yeah it's yeah not, yeah it's not quite it's a Cascadian dark ale it's just a dark ale like a hoppy dark ale yeah yes not quite yeah. quite full black IPA where it's like in your face hops no it's actually roasts, quite well yeah. balanced between those mm. kind of medium medium to dark roasty characters they're not black roast yeah. they're not they're not porter land they're not you know stout land so they're medium. Um, no biscuitiness. Stoutland sounds like a beautiful place. Yeah, I, I could live there for a while, Where especially in winter. Through. Chestnuts crackling on the fire. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll be be right there with you, mate. Maybe we can mm. open that up. That's a retirement plan. Um, yeah, no, four and a half out of five for me, mate. That's that's fucking great. That beer. Well done, Bricketh yes. Leneth. Bricketh Leneth. Shall we move into some trailer trashes? <laughs> Oh yeah, I need to make sure I have actually seen any of these. Yeah, uh, if you, if yep, you, yeah, okay, nope. John Wick yes. Four. I, look, yes. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on on any of these really, um, but they're there. John Wick Four. We've moved past the perennium. We're into asshole territory, and to be frank, that's kind of where I feel this is this this movie has gone to. I just I have no interest in it now. Keanu being in it is almost enough to convince me to watch it. I probably will when it's free to air, but I'm not excited about it. Sorry. You're, you're going to stick to that this time or are you going to black out of it? <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. That was a weak moment of boredom and loneliness, mm. Tom. I I will. Um, I definitely still enjoy the John Wick series. I will probably treat myself to a Monday night special cheap at the Dendy. Like, you know, even what Keanu said about it has turned me off it for the same reasons I already had oh, major okay. reservations. Well, I, what, what was that? It's just mind blowing action. Like, we've dialed it up even more, is what he said. Even more action, even more explosiveness. I'm like, it's, that, yeah, but I, that's yeah. everything that was wrong with number three. You took this cool, interesting, rich world, and we talked about the after the first mm. movie. On this on this podcast, that's cool. They built this whole subculture around the hotel and mm, the, mm. the Assassins Guild, essentially. And then they explored that subculture in the second movie, and they just went off the fucking deep end to turn it into like a pop out, pop out, diehard four esque movie in Perennium. 
Yeah, I mean, they, you're not wrong. They did. They they definitely went far too heavy into the action side of things, and and now none, of, none even of the further. characters we developed in the first two really seem to hold any weight anymore. Essentially, mm. yeah, or yeah. they were just they were just not developed enough, and they were too mysterious because they needed to be mysterious so they could be brought back for the future installments and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, yeah, but you know, it's one of those things when you have a, a, a series that like like john wick where it's you get to even halfway through two it's just like how literally how can you up this like you've you've started pretty strong in one it was a lot more ground and it level. was excellent and and the action was yeah. excellent in the first two movies as well yeah it didn't feel like over the top yes but this one's like it's that it's that hollywood unfortunateness of you've always got to go bigger better stronger kind of you know and it really yeah. feels like that's what they've done well yeah like, they were talking i, I watched a, a short little clip on the um there's there's a scene in the fourth one which they talk about pre the movie coming out and in depth um like a little behind the scenes thing about how they're doing a, a scene of car driving plus gun shooting around the Arc de Triomphe and it's and it's how <laughs> Keanu was able to learn new skills to do it. And it's like, yeah, that's super impressive that Keanu Reeves was able to figure out how to drive a- Keanu continues to be one of the world's best actors. Yeah. End quote. But let's say, like, yeah, that's that's cool, but it's like, how's it, how's it going to make sense in the film except <laughs> from being, mm, yes, blowy, blowy, Boomy, boomy, gunny, gunny, kari, kari. Like, yeah, it's just. What yeah. was the reference to? So, so I have a, and this is a genuine question because I don't remember. Um, John Wick three was called Parabellum. Yes. Now, was that a reference to? Did they ever talk about the quote in the movie of? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. From memory, it's Packham Parabellum. Yeah, it was. It was something to do with the the condemnation quote of from the assassins is Latin for. Suck well, these nuts so so para parabellum is prepare for war in Latin, and the the rest the full quote is civis pacem parabellum, meaning if you want peace, you should prepare for war. Well, yeah, because the whole plot of it is he's trying to get out of the Assassin's Guild, and the way he has to do that is to fight them. Is all. to is to kill them all, mm-hmm. annihilate them all. Because the other thing is parabellum is um when when it's one word, it's actually a reference to a nine mil round from a pistol. Oh. Right. So nine mil parabellum is a type of nine mil round. Nine mil Luger is another type. They're right. all essentially the same fucking round. They're all interchangeable. But I kind of, I wasn't sure if it was a reference to the pistol round or if it was a reference to. No, no, no. It was definitely a plot. Kill the rest of the angry assassins and then Prepare you can go back to your not original dog, to but you can still go live with your dog in the, the hills yeah. of wherever you live. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's John Wick for uh, next. Uh, we'll we'll probably breeze through the next couple of trailers unless you have anything specific to talk about. Um, Tetris. Oh, I thought it looked really fun. Yeah, yeah, and I'm a massive fan of Taron Egerton, so yeah. I'm I'm gonna watch it just for him. Um, but the true story of buying the Tetris concept from Russia during Nintendo the Cold USA War, buying it, yeah, yeah, during the Cold War, and I think it's just gonna be like. We've Russians thinking said. that they're spies buying intelligence and yeah, yeah. That's that's that sounds fun. Um, yeah, it does. And look, Russians just make bad villains. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just Perfect a reoccurring for theme. Yeah. Um, the next one, I kind of like. It's very different, but it kind of feels similar to Tetris for some reason. Uh, was Air? 
which is the true story of oh the Michael Jordan thing, right? Of yeah, Nike, yeah. Nike focusing basically the whole fucking company on Jordan Airs. Yeah. Um. Again, based on true story, uh, directed by Ben Affleck, which I thought was interesting, uh, starring Viola Davis, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck. So you know it's no, going to be Ben Affleck's directing a film and he's using Matt Damon. That is under- yeah, I know it's it's never wow. been done before. Wow, Very wow, 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 yeah. wow. Um, but yeah, I mean that looked fun and interesting, and if you know if it's true, if it's but like, that's it definitely on how, one of a um, how based on a true story it is. But that is that is a uh, a uh, that's a you know Friday night at home. What are we going to watch tonight? Yeah, put that on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we wouldn't go to the cinema to watch it, but it's like I'll I'll crack a beer and we'll sit here and we'll watch it. And, and yeah. I'd, I'd, I I know we'll this love is very- to see some eighties Boston accents. It'll make us giggle and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> This is a bit of a deep cut reference, but I can't think of Nike without, and this movie elicited like strong memories of um, the Nike camp advertising campaign in the movie What Women Want, and it always really not a film I've committed to memory. No, sure, but it's a film I've seen plenty of times, and it's a really great film in my opinion. It was a fun film. Um, That's Mel Gibson one, right? Was before Mel Gibson went off the deep end. Um, I don't know if he's back on back in vogue these days. I can never tell. He seems to go on a mad anti-Semitic rampage, knows, and then yeah. he's forgiven, and then he does it again, and then he's forgiven, and he. I'd so I don't know where in the cycle he is, but um, yeah, it's I was probably a, the gra- Mad Max part. <laughs> but I thought it was a good film, and in it, um, they cut like they basically create a advertising campaign for Nikes, and it was focused on. Um, it was it was a, a, a an advertising campaign written by a woman, and it was her connecting with why she jogs, why she runs, and it was all mm. about her personal relationship with the road. And no matter how bad the day was, no matter what's going on in her life, kids screaming, yeah. blah 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 blah. You get out as soon as she's jogging, yeah. and and I don't know why, but it just stands out in memory as just this really beautiful connection between somebody and their their sport or their their yeah. their zen. And how they managed to convey, capture and convey it for a marketing campaign. Now, obviously, it wasn't even based on a real marketing campaign for yeah. Nike. It just stands out as a memory. I hope there's plenty of those moments in the movie air. Oh, I definitely will. That's the end of my story. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be one of those ones where it's, you know. Uh, Masterful it'll, advertising. Yeah, and it's just showing like it'll show like the dirty side of it but with like good intentions kind of thing, like all those kind of like sport marketing films tend to do where it's <laughs> yeah, like- Yeah, as long as it doesn't go too boiler room, we should be all right. Yeah, but, you know, it's the guys like, oh, we want to make money off this, but we also want to help this kid out and like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then look, he's the greatest basketballer of all time kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, the next one we probably don't need to talk too much about, just the, the Super Bowl- Fast yeah. running man. The Flash Super Bowl trailer. Um, yeah. All it did really for us. I want to see it now. It looks good. Well, yeah. It made us kind of want to watch it. And it also just confirms that we had spouted out falsehoods. Yes. Hmm. Yes. And I wrote uh, starring Sasha Calais. Uh, Callie? Callie? I don't know how to pronounce her surname, unfortunately. It seems it's Calais. Spanish. Yeah. Um. As Supergirl, Michael Keaton, Ben Affleck as the Batman, and I wrote The Creep. Yes, because The Creep is in it. The Creep squared, in fact. Um, Yes. And then the final final movie trailer was Guardians 3. We got a Super Bowl trailer for that. It's probably the final trailer now because it's due out in May. It is, yes. Um, Yes. 
and very meh. sad. They're going to oh. show Baby Rocket because that's all Disney does these days is make baby versions of things. <laughs> yeah, to appeal to younger audiences and sell toys. Because, hey, the Mando sold a fuck ton of, of baby toys. Yes. Why can't why can't they with Baby Groot? Um, I don't know. It. Like, I think I said to you at the time, it feels like someone's going to die. Oh yeah, they, well they're going. I think they're going to kill off half of the, the main team. characters. Yeah, mm. yeah. Anyway, um, yes, it'll be. You know, has less of an emotional impact after watching them, them all get spaghettied in Guardians Two and then get un unspaghettied. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. No, no. It's uh, it's it's definitely going to be a um a closing of that chapter of Guardians, and it's it also feels mm. like it's just going to be. It's Gunn's swan song before he jumps ship to the rival rival thing. So you you expect Gunn to go out swinging, blazing. Said it. I said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Couldn't think of a better term. But yes, mm. you, you want him to. He's going to go out with a bang. Like, yeah. and whether or not it's him, you know, going to Marvel and saying, "I'm going to kill off X amount, kill of off all your main characters." Um. Well, I mean, that's the thing in the in the Guardians comics. There's always been two or three of them get killed off, and then they reform the team. And it's you know. yeah. Um, but yeah, and we're finally getting Adam Warlock and a, and a, a solid Adam Warlock, which is great. Um, and then yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm excited. I I I guess this is actually a good little interaction, which I didn't do before. Intersection into um, I did see Quantum Mania. Um, okay, how it came out. Uh, it was a misstep of an introduction of Kang. Um, okay. Uh, Kang is a pretty powerful hmm? villain person. It because he just was felt- kind of introduced in Loki. Yeah, that was a different version. This is this is in- Jonathan Majors plays a very different version of this character in okay. this one. And he did warn. Well, I can't remember what he calls himself in. Loki, but he did warn that the He's other the version one, of him- the one who remains. This is this is pure Kang the Conqueror. This is the, and he this- and and he did warn that if the if you allow my alter alter ego to come out, mm. like you're going to regret it. Well, alternate version, yeah. It's not even yeah. alter ego. It's like yeah, it's alternate version. It's um, yes, it's it's very much. It had. It's a very different Ant Man movie, to the ones we've had. They've obviously, they've obviously always been like, yes, there's all this, like, you know, use the term ground level in terms mm. of the supporting act of, mm. of what happens in that. None of those guys are in this. Um, okay. Yeah, it's very much, it's pure quantum quantum realm. Like within the first 10 minutes, you're, you're there. Everybody uh, gets a PIM suit. Yeah, basically. Um, uh, some interesting and, and fun cameos. Uh, there are, um, there's been some, some, Yes, yeah, so I'm sure you might. About. I'm sure you've seen some 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 meme meme references to other films from the late '90s that it, that reminds everyone of. Um, it no, was, I didn't see those. Oh well, don't look for them. I watch it. It. it I probably you know. I saw I, lots of references to them fucking Modoc. Yes, yes, yes. They did not do the machine. What is it? The machine right. organism designed only for killing justice. Yeah. Um, but it was a kind of a fun throwback of the thing. It was just, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of felt like the, um, love and thunder thing where it's like, this probably should have been a bit more serious around that thing, but you made it a bit too jokey. Yeah. Um, 
They seem to have done that. I mean, yeah. They used They're to balance the, the comedy and the seriousness quite well. They've definitely leaned more to like par- like polarizing versions of yeah. this is a comedic moment, this is deadly serious, but now this is comedic and now this is deadly serious kind of thing. And they've been um, missing some of those beats, I think. Is yeah, more yeah, yeah. As well. it's it's it, but it, it's a setup. It's a setup for the next next arc of the MCU. Um, it just feels like probably not the character you would have actually chosen to do that with. Um, Kang has a lot of potential to be a big threat level villain for mm-hmm. an entire universe kind of thing. Um, he's not. He is given the chance to shine, but then he's kind of MacGuffined out of it. But is he MacGuffined out of it? There's a bit of a twist at the end. You're like, oh. Um, and they play that that scene off quite well. Um, there's just a few little things where it's like, oh, cool. This is like a bit dystopian end to what you do. And then um, there's a chance for it to like to be a bit like a bleak round off for certain stories of the characters. Um, and then they neatly tie it up and go, oh, no, don't worry. And then it's just like, oh, fuck, come on, man. Um, yeah. It's like a bit of a rip off. Frankly. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it just, it was a bit, um, it was a bit of a misstep on the way they handled Kang, I think. Like they, they had a chance to show him in a lot better light, um, in terms of like his power levels. And I know they've, mm. they've obviously got to build him up to be for the next arc of the MCU. So you can't have him go all out first off yeah. kind of thing. But also, I think that would be kind of refreshing to be like, holy shit. Like, just that's what we're up against. The cast like, of a whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was fun. Like Paul Rudd's great as usual. Evangeline Lilly was underutilized. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer and what's his what's his old mate name? Um, who Michael was Douglas. underutilized? Sorry, uh, Evangeline Lilly, who plays Wasp. Yeah, she was underutilized. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer and um, Michael Douglas were used okay-ishness. They were given a bit of like, you know, the the, the golden golden rope kind of storytelling get out of situation thing mm. um and then the daughter did well the, the the young actress who played um who plays the daughter of scott lang um yeah cassie yeah uh she she did good Catherine and newton that's the one yeah so yeah she she does well especially because it's i haven't really seen her in anything else that i can think of off the top of my head um and you know to have a, a kind of a debut in an mcu film that's that's a bit of pressure yeah, yeah, so she does well. Jonathan Majors is brilliant. I'm a big fan of Jonathan Majors. Um, not only in, because um, he's Pokemon, by the he's way. ripped to shit. Um, like you could grate cheese on that man's chest and, and be happy <laughs> with the pizza that came out of it, kind of thing. Um, but he's also just a brilliant, brilliant range of actor. Um, yeah, yeah, the way he delivers some of his lines, he was definitely the standout. Uh, yeah, he and and the linchpin of the kind of of the film, like he kept it all together made it feel the gravitas that it needed to do, but also mm. at the same time could play like super crazy thing or like the super reserve thing. So, yeah, um, it's fun. I, I suggest watching it. I would I would probably like, it's sad. I really like the MCU. I'm a big Marvel fan, obviously, but it's like it's, it's slowly becoming the thing where it's like, yeah, I'm going to go see it at the films, but like I'd probably just rather watch it at home. I like, think Dan and I got to that place before you did, but it was almost inevitable you'd get there as well. Yeah, but and I'm all, I'm also kind of getting that like with most most things now. Like I'd like, yeah, I could go to the cinema to watch it, but I'd also like it was one of those movies where it was like there was a perfect moment where I was like, I could pause right now 
you know, if I was at home, I could pause it and go get another beer and this would be perfect. Mm. This would be a great, you know, cinematic experience, but obviously you can't do that anymore because you're in a, back in a room full of yeah. fucking idiots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was good. Uh, it, yeah, it for setting up the next phase, it does a good job, but uh, for some of the characters that needed a bit more of like a oomph, it, I felt it slightly under. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, that was my little... I forgot yeah. to put that review in before because no, I good. didn't write notes today because I'm an idiot. It's all good. Uh, the last trailer for Trailer Trash was Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. I'm not impressed by this. I didn't. I must admit, I didn't watch the 15 minutes of footage that dropped. I the watched Sony. the whole 15 minutes. <sighs> really? Jesus You're... Christ, it was boring. I was just waiting for yeah. something to happen. Yeah, nah. It just... Way to kill a great concept of a game. <laughs> it Jesus, is the action. It's the action bullshit RPG. It. That we're just getting fucking too many of. Oh, it was it, bullet sponges. Shoot the, yeah, shoot the weak. It it fucking reminded me of the Square Enix Avengers. Like, yep. yes, you can play by yourself, but it's better if you got four mates. It's like I don't want to play with my fucking. Oh, mates. and by the way, normally they're not on when I am. Yeah, and if you play by yourself, you still need an internet connection for the game to work. That was pretty. What stupid. the fuck is with that? Yeah, microtransactions are in. Bullet sponge enemies. It's the same Shoot the old- purple spot. Shoot the purple spot. Same old Shoot the purple shit. spot. Yeah. Yeah. Like. But even the yeah. characters came across as boring. Yeah. Like the only one I could and, and this is the same thing with Gotham. Captain Knights. Boomerang's like weapon of choice is a shotgun. Who's? Fucking boomerang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give the yep. guy a boomerang for fuck's sake. We had the boomerang, but it was his melee. Mm, yeah, because mm. that's what a boomerang a is. Because you don't throw a boomerang. No, no, no you bludgeon you people it. to death. You with use it. it like a like a Bowie knife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you can teleport. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was uninventive. It was boring gameplay. It was it's a cash in on the IP. But it's but it's rock steady. They made the Arkham series, which were amazing, and it's just like, what's wrong, guys? Like. Like, did we just get bored? I think of it's what an we industry do? problem, man. I mean, there's too many games coming out like this for this not to be an industry problem. And it, I, I feel like it's just a cash it's in. A game as a service thing because you can continually make money off it. And look, I yep. get it because game studios are expensive to run. And there's like, you know, for something you only- Yeah, because it's a whole new concept. It's in the, only come out in the last 10 years and they had to figure out how to make money. Fuck off. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's just, it's, it just feels lazy. And it just we, feels- we did things fine for 40 years one way. It's just, it, you know, Shareholders demand more dividends, so we just need to squeeze the fucking last drops of blood out of the stone. And you know what? There's not much blood left in the stone because gamers are abandoning those types of games faster than they can put them out. Yeah, they smash so, through it and then they just, just don't touch it. Well, Avengers it. was a flop. Yeah, but that was also a broken fucking game. So, but that's, I that's, that's I don't know that this is going to be any better. No, no, and I don't think it will. I honestly don't think it will. And I looked at it now and I was like, originally I was like, oh, yeah, that was a kind of cool Yeah, concept. we talked like, about it. We talked about we how fun it would be trailer, for the yeah. four, like three of us, and maybe like a Siri or someone to, to jump in as the fourth character and play the game. But I didn't want to do that anymore. Like, no, yeah. I, I, I was look. I, I'm amazed that you got through the 15 minutes of footage. I, I skipped through and got bored even watching one frame in every four thousand. Like, yeah, it took me less than a minute to get through 15 minutes of gameplay footage to scrub through it, and I was already bored. Yeah, it just it doesn't look good, and it is being ripped to shreds online. Mm. Well, as it mm. should be. Like, I'm sorry if there's anyone from Rocksteady who would even 
think to listen to this, you should be fucking embarrassed. Like, not only you, for the game, but also listening to our podcast. That too, but still, like, you've come from lofty heights. Yeah. Like, the Arkham series is, is a, like a, a stepping stone for games to base themselves on to get to a, like a AAA title. And you put out this shit, like, uppercut yourself. I'm going to use this term from last episode. Like, seriously, take a long, hard look at yourself and just being like, what What are we doing? Like, why would yeah. you do it? I would be so disappointed if I was part of that team to put that out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's just, yeah. And look, I, I'm. it's the same thing with Gotham Knights. It was like, sure, it's potentially a cool concept. And like, yeah, I'm sure you could have fun running around with your mates, but it's like, I have limited game time. I can't I can't sync that up anymore as a mid-30s person. Like, can't sync that with mates to get on and get on at the same time. Like, you know, my especially in my line of work where it's like sometimes I'll be like, fuck, you know, my phone could go off any moment and be like, oh, my God, the brewery's on fire. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess well, I'm coming yeah, down. Yeah, your shift finishes at four and you're still there at seven. That happens all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like to, to, to force you into that kind of like to get the best out of the gameplay experience you need to play with, that, with your mates and like, yeah. Well, the know. other thing is just it just pisses me off that because you want to sell me, you want to f- jam fucking microtransactions down my throat, I can't mm. play a single-player game without an always-on internet connection. Yeah. How about fuck off? Yeah, exactly. I thought anyway. they learned that lesson with the always-on like line, but I guess not. No, they haven't. They will, Idiots. but they haven't. Let's move on. Um, I'm going to quickly do a spotlight on PSVR 2. Do it. You do that I, while I sit here and sip this beer. Yeah, I and I won't harp on it for too long because, uh, like, it's kind of first impressions. I've had it now since release day. So what's that, four weeks-ish? Not even. Three? Three, yeah. Three-ish weeks, yeah. And I've only played two games. I've played Horizon Call of the Mountain and Pavlov VR. Yeah. Horizon Call of the Mountain. So, so first of all, let's talk about the hardware. The hardware is fucking spectacular. Mm-hmm. The, the goggles, and I said this to you guys on, on, on chat, I think, um, not long after I got it. For PSVR 1, it was a compromise. It was, I can accept a, like a visual and like obvious drop in video quality, like graphics quality, mm. for the 3D VR experience. It was a compromise, and it was mm. a compromise I was prepared to make, and your brain quickly gets past the blocky, shitty 80s graphics. Yeah. That compromise does not exist in VR2 at all. The quality of the video, like the quality of the graphics is what you would expect out of a full-blown PS5 game. Mm. Now, will that still be true in 18 months' time when we're pushing the edges of efficient coding for PSVR's hardware? Probably not. PSVR2 is going to hit a light, like hit a ceiling well before PS5 does. Mm. But right now, the graphics in Horizon Call of the Mountain are exactly the same texture quality as either of the two full-blown Horizon games. Right. It is excellent quality graphics. And as I suspected and I suggested to you guys when we were talking about some of the um, trailers, hmm. the tra- the video, the 2D graphics versions of the VR games don't do VR justice because foveated rendering is baked in. So, which is which is what again? That's the eye tracking. So it, yeah, it, yeah. it decreases the quality everywhere that you aren't looking. Yeah. So if you've got the TV on while you're playing VR, you're getting that represented in 
the TV version. So when you're looking at a trailer, you're seeing 90% of the screen is shit quality and 10% is really sharp. That's yeah. because the person playing VR is only looking at that 10%. But from his perspective, everything's perfectly sharp because when he moves his eyes around, it's all perfectly uh, rendered wherever okay. he's looking. Yeah, yeah, right. So trailers look crap. Yes. But the actual graphics are fantastic in-game. Okay, cool. Um, the one com- the the controllers are fantastic and intuitive. I've not had any issues with those two controllers at all. And they're Except- they're more like the like almost like a glove in yeah, they're more like a cover. gun trigger, like they're gun they're triggers. The wand, they're, they're not the, the wand and the no, no. no. And they feel intuitive. They feel natural. They're okay. like holding two guns. All of the buttons are in the exact place that you think they should be. There's yeah. some good in-game representations of the controllers until you get used to where the X and Y, X and circle buttons and all the rest of it are. Right, right. Um, the batteries do only last three or four hours, but you'll struggle. Yeah. Look, one of the one problem with the gra- with the um, VR2 headset is it's comfortable, it's light, hmm. the cable's no issue, but it's a fucking furnace. Yes. Every so, review I've seen on trophy hunting groups for people doing Call of the Mountain has just been Horizon Call of the Sweaty Brow. Or like it's not Horizon. Like it's just all VR. It's it's those it's the headset. Mate, yeah. I, I get to a point in Pavlov. Oh, so but I think that they're talking yeah, about yeah, playing. Because of that experience. Yeah. That, yeah. So I in, in Pavlov I'll snipe for the first hour. Mm. After that point. There's too much sweat running over my eyeball for me to be able to see clearly, and the and the the goggles don't quite fog up, but they start slipping around in your head. And like uh. all VR gra- goggles, there has to the the lenses need to be perfectly aligned to your pupil for uh, text to be clear. Yeah, and it's the same with sniping. If you're looking down a scope, everything's fuzzy the minute those goggles fall out of alignment. Right. Okay. So as as you start to sweat and those goggles start shifting around a bit more, mm. you look down your you look down your scope in your sniper rifle and shit's fuzzy. Yeah, that's not good. No. no. Um, so I I can I so a couple of things. So that's that's the goggles themselves. Graphics fantastic. Uh, handset. Um, the um the new controllers are brilliant. Yeah, the two games I've played, Horizon. I'm not. Get, I couldn't get into. Ah. It's it. Horizon, climb the mountain, climb every mountain over and over and over again. That's all it is. It's a climbing game. You sit on your couch and you literally do this for the whole fucking game. Hey, I'm it's like, good workout. It's it was interesting and new and different to start with, but after that, and oddly, it made me feel sick every time I played it. Which Background is not something nauseous. you normally have had no, with never VR had any nausea VR. whatsoever with VR. But for some reason, that particular game, there's this background nausea. It's not strong enough for me to stop playing. Mm-hmm. But every time I finish playing, I'm like, I was hungry for lunch. Now I'm not. Yeah, okay. Just, just background nausea. And I thought that was maybe the goggles, but then I started playing Pavlov. Mm. And I can tell you, I can play Pavlov for three or four hours. It's sweat fest. I usually have a beer next to me, and then in between sessions, there's this brilliant invention. They put the button. They put a button underneath the headset that uses the front-facing cameras to show you what's going on in the real world around you in black and white. Oh, okay, yeah. So you can see through like the goggles. Scope. Yes, you can see yeah. through the goggles, and I use that to find my beer, and I can drink my beer without taking the goggles off. It's brilliant. 
Um, it's designed to help you figure out where you are in the real world yeah, and yeah, you yeah. do need to reset. So, Pavlov, you play standing because yeah, if you exactly. want to squat behind cover, you need to kneel in real life. Um, and, in fact, I've got a pub chair, a pub stool in my house because mm. a couple of bar stools. So when I'm sniping, I actually usually put one in front of the TV so that I can kneel and rest yeah, on it yeah. just to line up because I'll tell you what, holding two controllers out like this and keeping them perfectly aligned to your eye over any kind of period of time, basically impossible. Yeah. Um, snipers do it so it makes sense. Well, no, that yeah, well, snipers, yeah, literally use sandbags and yeah. um, bipods. But Pavlov VR is a fucking brilliant game. It's not a PSVR 2 game. It's a Quest game. It was written for PC okay. like three, four years ago. It's not new at all. Yeah. But it's basically Counter-Strike. It's, I don't know if you ever played Counter-Strike, the original Half-Life mod, but okay, that was, Pete, you're insulting me by asking. Yes. I, I, I see that face. I, I hear you. Um, that's Down it, terrorist that- win. <laughs> There's even a, 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 a map called Sand, which is not an oh. exact ripoff of Dust, but it's oh. fucking close enough. Oh. Oh. Um, so, first of all, Counter-Strike is a brilliant game mechanic to start with. And it's, Absolutely. Whilst, it's, whilst it's simple, there's no RPG elements, there's no unlocks, there's none of that bullshit in modern, from modern games, and yet it is hideously addictive. Oh, yeah. Um, Did you the kill bomb- the guy? You get some money. To kill that the, guy, you get some money. You can buy the a bomb gun. mechanic. Yeah. So, so, and this is where and this is where Pavlov fucking shines. Every weapon is represented in VR as real as you can get. So, if you're okay. using an F eighty eight style, which is the Australian Army standard yeah. issue uh, assault rifle, you need to know that the charge pulls on the right. Uh, sorry, on the left. And so, when you reload, because it's a bullpup, you have to literally. Use your controller to grab the fucking empty magazine, take it out, throw it on the ground, grab another mag from your belt, mm. jam it in, switch hands, and pull the charge charge tab back, which is completely different from an MP5 submachine gun where yeah. the charge cable's on the right and it's a forward-facing um, mag. Yeah. You need to know on a – there's a, a 50 cal Barrett sniper rifle, single-shot bolt action. You take your shot – you have to literally lift open and open the chamber, grab a single 50 cal bullet, stick it in the chamber, and then close it again. And you do this all manually in VR before mm. taking your next shot. So much fun. So much fun. Arming the bomb. You hold a bomb and it's got a keypad and you basically, it tells you a number, four. You have to use your finger in VR land to hit the n- number four. And you put in this six-digit sequence and then mount the bomb. Mm. If you want to disarm it, if you didn't buy the clippers... You have to punch in these numbers again. Except if you fuck up one of the numbers, you go back to the start. Meanwhile, clock's ticking. Yeah. It's just really fun mechanics like that. Yeah, cool. Well thought out. Um, Apparently, we're one patch ahead of PC. Okay. And so went and they've talked about releasing that patch level to the PC version. And when that happens, you'll have PSVR 2 crossplay with Quest 2 and all the other. Oh, cool. VR, currently supported VR headsets in PC. It's also got a thriving mod community. So there's a lot of other game styles that haven't been released to PSVR 2 yet, but Mm -hmm. they're coming with the patch. Cool. So can't can't talk higher than, I I mean, it is, it's brilliant. Yeah. Apart from the the furnace. By by talking to, yeah, it's just you've, the amount of kind of 
airtime you've given to Pavlov already just in our in our chats. It's just like it, it does sound pretty pretty fucking cool. Yeah. 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 It's 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 clean, simple fun. The only problem is uh, like VR one, it is a bit of fucking around to get it yeah. on. It's easier. I mean, it's got one cable. Takes ten seconds to put it on your head and start playing. Um, but it is one more thing, and you're standing up in the middle of your living room. It's mm. not as simple as just playing a PS5 game. So there is that level of complexity. There's a there's kind of an entry point into it, but at yeah, the same time, okay. it's a different gaming experience. You can't recreate otherwise. I'm looking forward to Journey: The Foundation VR. So they've announced a a VR yes. game based yep. on Asimov's Foundation, which looks more closely aligned to the TV series Foundation mm. because the book and that the TV the series are yeah, quite I different. That. Yep. yep. Uh, and Firewall Ultra, which will be interesting to see how they how they pull off a Tom Clancy. This is the second Firewall VR game. Okay. All right. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if they do it justice. Was the first one good? Have you played the first one? I haven't played it. Okay. Yeah, I right. just hope they do some AAA titles because it needs it. Yeah. I mean, We've that's, talked about that's, that to that's death. Been, that's, yeah, definitely been a talk to death thing. Um, but worst case, if... If VR2 can continue to cross-play support against Quest 2 and the other PC, like the other premier PC headsets, yeah, then there's more reason for a AAA developer to write a game because now they're not just addressing a PlayStation 5 plus PSVR2 market. They're mm. addressing everyone who's got a VR headset. There's a lot more money to be made that way. Yes. I guess my... You, like final question for you around the whole thing is, and obviously this, this is hard, probably a harder question for you to answer because your view is um, justifiably skewed. Uh, mm. But if you were someone on the fence, would you invest in a VR two? Look, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money to spend. What is so it? seven same by seven fifty? Kind of same. Slightly, as a, yeah. It's more expensive. It's more expensive. No, no, no. It's it's eight hundred or nine hundred if you want the game. So if you want Call of the Mountain, yeah. So it's more expensive than the actual PS Five. Yes. Um. So the question becomes less: Is it worth investing? Because the answer is, I, I think it is. Yes. I mean, I would say if it wasn't for developers not investing time and money in making AAA titles, mm. it would easily be declared the future of gaming. Because any game that I can imagine is better in VR. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. So then it comes down to do you have 800 bucks of disposable income? That's really the question. Because it's hard to answer a question like, is it worth investing in something you don't need and nobody needs? Nobody needs it. So no, it's oh, not worth investing. Let's be honest. Technically, no one needs a PS5, but I would That's tell what I mean. So I, yeah, I, yeah. So it's hard to answer that question, and it's uh, eight no, seventy eight. No, and, and I, I just, my, you know, I understand that, and I said that, and like, yeah, that was yeah, a bit of a caveat. But it was like, you know, I mean, I can think of games that wouldn't be better in VR. I would definitely not play a Far Cry game in VR. I know they've released Far Cry three in VR, but okay, I've tried to play Far Cry, the going through the series recently. I've tried to play them hungover, and. I don't usually get nauseous hungover, but mm. playing that game hungover makes me want to spew everywhere. <laughs> there's so many moments where it's like you've got like there's so many moments where you're like in like a glider and then you land and the way they do the land animations, it kind of makes you roll and you're just like, oh, yeah, oh okay. Christ. Yeah. I, look, 
when I say it's the future of gaming, I don't mean I don't I don't mean PSVR two is the future. I mean if they continue to refine this the way that they have video game consoles. Yeah. You can easily see in fifteen years' time there wouldn't be a non VR version of games. There might be two dimensional Oh, I can just imagine how amazing mechanics. it would be playing Ragnarok in that VR headset setting, but with a controller. Like Yeah. That's Anything first person combo, instantly yeah. transfers. I think over the shoulder works as well. I mean, Skyrim, you had the option to do over the shoulder VR and it worked. Yeah. Um, oh, would a 2D platform work? Not really. Looking around, but looking around the, like thinking about a third person game like Ragnarok, just thinking of looking around like, you know, Muspelheim, for example, like mm. that would be just add such an extra element to the game. Yeah. 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 Now, would every game in 10, 15 years' time fully adopt an immersive experience? No, not necessarily. No. But if you invested in VR in a big way, then you would come up with alternate Mm. ways of developing games that that still translated, but, you know, were in a VR world. I mean, they've already got a Populous game, right, which is a – I can't remember what it's called, but you basically play uh, the authorial god – you can pick up little people and move them around and oh, watch okay. them build right. yeah. and live their little lives. It's like Sims, but on a yeah, on, a, yeah. on well, a social society scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is an old school bullfrog game, Populous. Yes. Um, it's not called that. I, I can't remember what it's called. But there, no, there is a there, VR. there were a few of those where you played as the god character and you got yeah. to pick up your little dudes. And stuff. Yeah, now that's yeah. not a traditional VR type setting. No, you I've wouldn't. You yeah, wouldn't yeah. automatically think, oh, that needs to go into VR, and yet yeah. they've done it and it works. So. No, yeah. it's 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 definitely not something you, you think of that as a traditional like kind of top down view. Yeah. So yeah, um, I've been very very impressed. But you are right. I would not play anything on VR hungover. I wouldn't. I also wouldn't play anything on VR too drunk. Yeah. Which probably rules out anyone who smokes, because I don't know if I'd want to be stoned standing in my living room. Now, I'm not playing a game that, that moves around. There's three modes. There's sit-down VR, there's standing VR, and there's moving VR. Mm. I've not played a moving VR game where you're supposed to walk around and interact with the universe. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Pavlov is standstill, whereas Call of the Mountain, you can sit. Oh, okay. Right. You can't play Pavlov sitting on your couch. Because you've got a duck and- it literally, the game won't start unless you're standing up. It detects the world around you and maps out your living room and uses spatial awareness and yeah, shit, yeah, and yeah. you can't sit on your couch. It won't let you. Well, that's just rude. Yeah, and it is because you, know, you have to move around cover and dark and all the rest. Yeah. Um, so that's an entry point problem, right? That's, that means that you're not always going to be able to play that style of game because- Various reasons. Your yeah. missus is on the couch watching telly. She doesn't want a dickhead standing in front of her with goggles on. <laughs> I mean, kind of a funny thought to think of, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas if it was a sit-down game like Call of the Mountain and you could ignore the dickhead next to you doing this in hmm. in space, then your missus could be or your, your, your significant other um, could be sitting next to you on the couch watching television while you're playing a video game that would traditionally be on TV but is now on goggles. Hmm. You could do that. Um, yeah, you can't do that if you're standing up. No. Anyway, so that's okay. my initial 
my first impressions of VR too. Very, cool. very, very impressed. Yeah, I mean that's that's a yeah kind of glowing review in itself. Yeah. Um, and a crafting system. The last thing, crafting system in Call of the Mountain was pretty cool. You have to actually create your arrows. Oh, um, okay, that's kind of fun. So yeah. like your fire arrows and stuff. Now the mechanic runs out real quick because it's the same mechanic for any type of arrow. You find the little canister of fire stuff, and then you yep. find an arrowhead, and you find the feathers, and you and you put the arrow together by putting those three elements with an arrow shaft. Yep, 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 yep. But it's a cool idea. It's a cool idea. Same with Pavlov. If you hold you know, your gun out in front of you, you're not actually fletching the arrows mid-game. No, you're not sitting there whittling, yeah. whittling the shafts or anything. Um, Pavlov's the same. You can hold the gun sideways and you can pull off the scope and you can pull off the, the Picatinny rail-mounted handles. You can mm. deconstruct your gun. I don't know why the fuck you would want to because it's not like you walk around find scopes on the ground. Yeah, but they right. put the mechanic in. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Shall we move on to our fourth and final beer? Yes, I've just pulled it across to me. I haven't poured it yet. You can go first if you've poured. I have not poured. Mm-hmm. I I can. Uh, my fourth and final beer is another uh, Ekam Brewing. This one is the Bloodshot Bloodshot Red IPA. I don't know if that's going to Oh, they've changed the branding on that one. Mm. Uh, yes, it is. A red IPA brewed mm. with red malt and oats, giving it plenty of rich malt flavor, balanced out with a big double dry hop. There's lots of resinous and piney notes on offer. I'm going to say I oh, this is canned on canned 11th of January this year, so it's another freshie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has mellowed out a little bit, but it is it is very red IPA. I mean, it's exactly what you expect out of a red IPA, and the color is quite. Quite golden, golden red too. That's naughty. That's a naughty color. But thinner than a red ale, and nowhere near as bitter as you bitter as you would expect out of a red ale. Is it rich in toffee and caramels? Uh, Mm, No. I want my caramels. This is me bringing the Dan Ellen into this uh, this end of the podcast. You get a little bit of caramel. Mm. Um, definitely don't get the sweetness of toffee. You get a lot of bitterness. Um, the bitterness almost drowns out any kind of pine notes. You can tell that there's boo, boo. You, can you can tell there's hops there, but they're not expressed loudly. So, is it well balanced or is it underwhelming? Ooh, it's listen. I, Underwhelming is the wrong adjective to work to to use because I will say it's a thoroughly enjoyable beer. Yeah, um, this is the second one I've had of this beer. There's two more in the fridge, and I'll probably polish the other two off tonight because it is thoroughly enjoyable as a beer. Um, but. and it's it's a welcome departure from the red ales I've complained about before, where the bitterness just drowns everything else out, and I can't get through the beer. So, yeah, but red IPAs are my jam. This is the perfect time of the year because it's it's just getting over being hot enough, and it's, it's maybe there's a there's a there's a hint of that. frost in the air. You say that, and yet we've just had the hottest day in two years. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's not accurate. It's not the most accurate <laughs> system, but you know, generally as a rule. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to a cooling that. I have to say, um, yeah, I, I'm going to give that a. a Four point two five because it is it is a genuinely impressive beer. Mm. Um, 
I think I would like for you and Dan to try it because I'm judging it on its on its own merits, whereas you guys will be able to judge it as a style, as an expression oh, of a style, and I can't if really I do see, that. If I see a red IPA, I grab it. I yeah, so I don't have enough experience yeah. with the style of beer to be able to tell you where it stands up against its competitors, if that makes right. sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in and of itself, 4.25 out of 5 is a pretty high score for a Pete because Pete's a bit of a C um, when it comes to scoring beers. Most of my scores sit between 3.5 and, and 4, so... And yeah, you are a tight ass. That's true. I'm a tight ass when it comes to to untapped. Um, also, the labels. I mean, look, it's one of those cheap stick-on labels that literally peeling as I got it out of the four pack packaging. It was pre pre peeling. Mm. Um, on a silver can, so obviously one of those old school canning lines. Oh, Tom, finishing with a. Very, very dark beer there. What are you drinking, Monflair? Oh, oh, it's Cascadian. <laughs> it's dark and it's rich and it's roasty and it's piney and it's good. I am having a seasonal release from the Sydney Brewery. Um, Sydney Brewery. Oh, yeah. I, look, I will say this with full clarity. I probably would never have gone out and bought this beer. But uh, one of the former batch brewers has moved on to work for the Sydney Brewery and she dropped off a mixed case. And there were a few of these seasonal releases in there. And I said, you know what? Fuck you, I'm going to try one of Danny's beers. Um, yes, Danny, I just called you out. I know you won't listen to this because you don't listen to podcasts. Um, but that is fine. Um, What's it called, mate? This is the Sydney Brewery Speakeasy Black IPA. It is 6%. Um, so Sydney Brewery is uh, kind of Surrey Hills, but then they also brew up in the Hunter Valley. So I actually mm-hmm. don't know if this was brewed Hunter Valley or the Sydney Brewery. The Sydney Surrey Hills Brewery is um, tiny, tiny, Good tiny, old small. Slurry Hills. Good old Slurry Hills, yes. Uh, it's, it's a tiny little little brew kit um, compared to the one they have up in the, in the Hunter um, where they do most of their – most of the Sydney Brewery core range they obviously do up there. Um, the, this is. I'm assuming this has probably been done in the Surrey Hills region, which which is cool. Um, mm. They've done a big dry hop of Citra, Amillo, Amarillo, and Chinook, um, which you get straight off the bat. There is a <laughs> massive US hop Chinook's here. pretty loud. Yeah, yeah. It it hits you in the face. It is a nice blend of that roasty character that you want from a, a good good black IPA. Um, but then with a like really bright hop hit of, above that um, and that like citrus that kind of cuts through that roastiness and that's what I'm 100% getting. Um, and look, I've, I've got to be completely honest, like I wouldn't have thought the Sydney Brewery were capable of making such an ex- like a good example of a black IPA, but it's great to see that they can. Um, I don't like most of their core range. I'll be fully upfront about that. I haven't liked them for years. I, I you know, used to find them around because I used to live in Surrey Hills. So I used to find them around like some of the local bars. Hmm. Every time I have one, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, it's kind of, it didn't stand out. This yep. stands out. This is a great example of a black IPA. Um, so I'm super impressed. Uh, yeah. They I say subtle dark malt characters, but I I really like it. It's, it's not subtle. It's, it's, it, yeah, subtle but not subtle. Like, yeah. Um doesn't say it has a 
doesn't have a package date on it. It does say the best before is the 13th of Feb 24. So assuming they're putting a year on it, it's probably been brewed mid-Feb. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's super tasty. I wouldn't maybe have like two of them before I'd be like, holy, yeah, okay, I'm done. Like my Palette my, fatigue. Not even palate fatigue, just entire face fatigue. Like the aroma <laughs> would have like smashed through your nose and like, yeah, definitely that 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 palate would have been would have been crushed. Um, but that's super solid and yeah, impressed to see what the Sydney brewery are doing with that and kind of like a nice little, you know, turnaround from mm. what they've been doing the last few years. It's four and a half. That's great. Four and a half. Yeah. Big number. Yeah. Good stuff. That is Good cracking. Stuff. And I've got to say that's that's um we've we've I mean so maybe not so much eight wired, but um Done a decent job tonight of, and one drop actually. Uh, we've at least sampled some some breweries that we don't frequently sample. No, which is good. We've spread our wings, so to speak. That's right. Yeah. So we, I think we're going to spend the next twenty twenty five ish minutes. Um, An extended. On, are you winning, Sean? Yeah, yeah. Because uh, we've both been playing the same game, um, other than my VR experience that I've just talked about, which is um, we we both. Have been playing quite a lot of Hogwarts Legacy. Yes, an extremely controversial video game for reasons that have nothing to do with the video game, too. Which so is we're going to skip all that. Yeah, yeah I, I don't have any commentary that I want to make on the podcast about no, the noise. I don't feel free to add what you want to add, but nope. I actually cool. want to skip the whole even mention of it, but that's fine. Yep. Um, I, I I think it would be in. <sighs> we can't ignore it. No. Yeah. We don't have to. We don't have to give it airtime because I don't think it deserves any. No. Just to note that there is controversy, controversy, yeah. but more around the backstory, not the game itself. So yeah. let's talk about the game. Um, how close to plat are you on it? Uh, I am currently glitched out of the plat. Oh no! Yeah. What trophy? You uh, That's so annoying. no, no, no. I'll I'll go through that. Um, so I I am in terms of the story. I'm I'm midwinter. Is where I'm up to. Okay. Um, that said, the collectible side of the thing, I am 90% done. Like, I've just been running around the world, really enjoying immersing myself in the world. Um, for those who, like us, uh, uh, like getting the platinum for things, um, for this one, you have to play the first, oh, I think I got it down to about two, three hours. Like, oh, I mean- you like did the, it faster than that. I know what you're talking about, but assuming you did the the, the auto save. No, I didn't do the auto save. I've been playing the pre, the opening mission every time. Oh, really? Yeah, I okay. kind of enjoyed it. Um, okay, fair enough. I, like I enjoyed that it the first goes, two We're times. in the Scottish Highlands. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've, you've got to play up to a certain point in each house to get the plat trophy, um, which I found the best way to do it. And I don't know if you did this, Pete, but I- uh, every season change, I've gone back and done my next no, I, house. I, I did that. I got hit by a different trophy glitch than you did. Excuse me. Yeah. Um. So I could not. You there was a collectibles, collectibles. Yeah. Yeah. There was a collectibles glitch where you could get all the collectibles, but it wasn't registering them on PS5. And so I, that's and I'd finished everything else in the game. So that's when I went back to get my three house trophies. Right. For the houses I didn't play through on the, my on my, main I've also playthrough. taken this a lot slower because of yeah, I haven't had much fine. gaming time at the moment. Yeah. But it's like that's actually very like yeah. So I've I've been going through. So 
the game is kind of divided into four sections based on the seasons of the school year. Um, so yes, having just hit winter with my main character, I've gone back and done my second, third playthrough of the the opening thing, and I've hmm. I've done my my that character and stuff. Um, no, so the trophy I'm actually glitched out of is the side quests because I've hit the what they call the biscuit bug. Um, okay. There is a side quest mission where you have to go and save this goblin's little creature. Um, and if you've gone to the camp before you start the side quest and open the lock, the lock doesn't reappear for the side quest, so you can't finish the side quest off because you can't oh, open the cage with the little sucks. creatures inside. Obviously, the developers know about it. They've got a lot of stuff going on at the moment where they're trying to get out the PS4 and all well, the previous-gen mm. versions, and they've had to delay that, so I'm sure that which is fine for me as someone who's slowly playing through it, but like you know, if I was had had all the free time in the world, I'd be like, chop chop. Why yeah, the fuck is fix, this fixed? Fix this. It's, been, it's been it's been weeks that this has been an issue that you've known about. Like, yeah, and yeah. it's that kind of thing. It's like I know you guys aren't a live service game, and but still, like, you've still got a development team, and you know, I've, still I still need to release a game that's not foundationally broken, and the plat trophy's pretty fundamental these days. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I've gone back to, and they've they've got one particular guy they refer to, like everything I've searched this thing. It's like follow this guy on Twitter, like he's one of the leads of this part of like the community development side thing, and he's he's been pretty active about like knowing things that are going wrong in the game, and this is how you can fix it. Mm. Um, but you know, I've since I've developed, encountered this thing, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'll follow this guy and see what he's got to say about it. Everything's been posting that. He's been like, we've just been doing launch parties. And I was like, can you get back to work and finish fixing the shit? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, very, wow. I'm very happy for you. And congratulations on all your success. But also but fix my broken thing so I can enjoy it because I've paid you money for it. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So, overall, hmm. how have you found the game? Do you have any criticisms? I know oh, I'm leading oh, you because I've some got some comments. But- I have some criticisms. Um. I obviously, I growing up, I was right in the middle of the book release schedule. So I was one of those mm-hmm. people who would, um, being the oldest member of my sibling um, family, the cohort, cohort, uh, my crew, my whatever you want to call us, um, I had the the best reading ability of the people who were interested in Harry Potter. So as the new books came out, I got to read it first, and then I would pass it down the chain. Um, so I was the one who had to go on launch day, you know, it was kind of like pre-ordering mm. a game. Like I went to Dimmicks on the launch day and there was massive Harry Potter parties and like, you know, I sat with people in the store and you just, you found a corner wherever you could and you just started reading through the book and you get through eight chaps and you'd be like, oh shit, I've got to go home. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I did that part. And then obviously the movies around that, like they were all coming out and, you know, I went to midnight launches for the movies and all that kind of stuff. I was quite quite into it. Um, and i got to tell you, my biggest fucking gripe so far with the game and with the reference to the, the movie and book world is, and you may laugh, and you probably will laugh at being like it's quite petty, but it's why the fuck am I doing a mini game for unlocking locks with the Alohomora spell? Because that is an instant unlock fucking shit and that is the one of the things that's really pissed me off i i I quite enjoy the merlin trials i think they're they're fine that yes they're repetitive they're super repetitive the animation you can't skip whatever i there's you you need 95 of them tom 
You need yeah, to do 95 Merlin trials and there is no in-game incentive past the 40th. No, what a no. fucking joke. Yeah, but it, it made me- It's not content. But it made me go and explore the map and I've, I've actually quite enjoyed that part of the thing. I've, I've loved let's, going through the map and I've, I've ride my broom through it. Let's dive into that. Yeah. But it's 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 the thing that's really bugger me is is opening locks and when I have to go, you know, and I cast a spell and I go Lohumora and then I go, oh, that should unlock. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, I've got to go right trigger that way, left trigger that way. Or oh, around yes. A little bit. The in-game mechanic is what you're talking about. Well, it's I just f- having to do that because that's- Couldn't fucking agree more. But that's not what the spell is. The spell is an instant unlock thing. It's not it's a- It's an unlock spell, not yeah. a, uh, a, a spell to start a mini game. Yeah. So that and, was and pretty stupid. The actual mini game is so puerile too. Oh, uh, I mean, it's so common. It's uh, it's the it's the dual lock turn you turn your controller sticks one way and one the other way. Um, the other thing I've found super no annoying is so they they said just right before the launch that they'd taken well they either hadn't developed properly or they just decided to rip the whole Quidditch element out. And they really like ham fisted in a reasoning mm. why, being like, "Oh, there was a really bad injury last season." Talk so about not doing justification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then they've got so many elements, or like character models, or like models for things that should be involved in Quidditch in other parts of it. That it's like, you guys just didn't. It was so it. obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so obvious that it was designed to be in the game. Yeah, yeah. Look, this, the spells are great. Um, they feel like they should. Um, I like the fact that the unforgivables, like, you can go either way with them. Like, if you want to get them, you can, but you- You can play the whole not, game not touching them. You're not forced to in any way, and it doesn't, like, it doesn't affect your, especially, like, in the trophy things sense of it. Like, that's not part of the spells you need to learn. They're, they're optional. They're an error bonus. one of my complaints is it also doesn't affect your playthrough at all. And yes, it fucking yeah, well should. Yeah. You there's can the, use the unforgivable curses in front of the school fucking no principals in and the whole thing. Yeah. You there's there's even a couple of the side characters make comment that you're oh, you're using some of the obviously you've got no problems with dark magic, I think is one of the side comments one of the side yeah. characters makes. But that's it. There's no repercussion whatsoever. No, no, no. And that I think is is a really big miss. On the, from from Avalanche. Look, I overall I enjoyed the twenty-ish hours of gameplay of actual storyline play. Yeah, but I think it was set in a open world, and the ninety-eight percent of the open world that you don't need to interact with for the core storyline was lazily written. Really oh, fucking lazy. Yeah, I never. I, 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 granted, I'm, let's say, sixty percent of the way through the main story. Yep. But I have, I still have no pull or feel like I need to be pulled towards that whole south coast region, Mm -hmm. which kind of doubles the size of the map. Tom, you, you never will. There's a couple of missions right at the end where where you need to go to a specific location. Yeah, yeah. But uh, look, I. The the world's really amazingly fleshed out in Hogsmeade and Hogwarts. Hmm. Hogwarts Castle is spectacular. Oh, you get lost in it, and and, 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 and you get lost because way. it's you interesting. Just, yeah. just want to keep wandering the halls. Yeah, it's like they spent ninety percent of their effort in those yes, two locations, 100%, yeah. 
and the rest of the open world, like the Forbidden Forest was genuinely interesting and a little bit scary, intimidating at the start of the game. Yeah. But it's it's so quickly that wears off where it becomes like a, a null and void fucking area. It's Yeah. There were so many this game could have, like it wasn't a bad game, don't get me wrong. The actual storyline no. was thoroughly enjoyable, well executed. The open world setting I think was a fucking joke and, and I really stand by the statement that it's lazy. So when you talk about uh, 95 Merlin Trials, it's a mini game for, for those who aren't playing the game and never will, it's a mini game sequence where um, there are only five different mini games. So you activate Merlin's trial. Yeah, yeah. And one of them, as an example, one of them is three pillars will come out of the ground and three you sets them on of- fire in the time, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, yeah. One of them is use your fire spell on the three pillars uh, within 30 seconds and you beat it. And another one is- Three pillars come up and three sets of glowworm clouds appear somewhere in the world nearby. Mm. And you have to use your light spell to attract the glowworms to the three pillars. Yes. And it's not on a timer. And so there's three or four other mini games like that. They're pretty fucking simple to solve. Yeah. And they just repeat. Yeah. They repeat 95 times. That's not content, that's copy paste. Yeah, but let's be honest, but like, and this is where the Dan would come in and be like, but we, there's no push for us besides us wanting to get the plat to do those. So, and, and okay, so yeah. let's, let's talk about that. So, so you, have you heard of, and this is not a, not because I hadn't, hmm. right? So this is not a trick question. Had you heard of CD Project Red's 42nd rule for Witcher 3? No. Okay. So- what they said in an interview a long time ago for Witcher 3 was the way they gauged how much content they needed to build into the Witcher 3 open world was the player, while they're exploring the world, should come across some interesting thing every mm. 40 seconds of real lifetime. Yeah. Okay. Right? So within 40 seconds of moving in any direction in the Witcher 3 overland map, you'll either come across some random event like a stag will suddenly appear or you'll get jumped by a monster or there'll be a point of interest or a collectible or a main yeah, mission yeah. or a side mission. But 40 seconds in any direction in that overland map is about the amount of time between events in the game to keep the, the user engaged. And they did heavy research into that time. Yeah, okay. time. yeah, yeah. So someone took the time to map out the poise, the points of interest in Hogwarts, and they found mm. that Hogwarts used a 15-second timer instead of 40. Yes. And, and there's fact, a lot. And you can do that in Horizon as well. And, 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 and there's a correlation. They believe there's a correlation between uh, how much content you sprinkle in an open world as to whether or not that open world is successful like a Horizon game or unsuccessful like some of the other open world games yeah. we've talked about before that have been flops. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. My problem with Hogwarts Legacy specifically is, whilst they've applied that 15-second rule, there's plenty of content. It's not engaging content. It's not interesting content. Copying and pasting the same basic five mini games 95 times is not interesting past the first 10, 15, 20. There's some repetition everyone's prepared to accept. Yeah. But it gets to a point where it's just like, I'm only doing this for the fucking trophy. Uh, it's not yeah, the only I, example. I, I, Merlin I trolls are not the only example. No, 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 no. I um, mean, I, I think, I think, for, and this comes down to the, the personally why you the way you play the game. But like, 
for me, I've definitely found like I know they're repetitive, but then it's also like in my own head, I'm like, can I do this quicker? Like, can I, can I, can I, how, how can I, how can I, how can I break this thing to make it me do it quicker or faster and kind of thing? So but I set you're my own challenging, challenges within the challenge. Yeah. But if you need to, doesn't that reflect that the to, content I, itself? Yeah. But if you feel, if you feel compelled to, doesn't that reflect the content itself is probably lackluster? Yeah, you wouldn't be inventing all, your own mini any, games. That's just any collectible, though. Like when you really break them down. Look, I had more fun collecting all of the collectibles in Hogwarts than I did in Spider Man, which we have talked about. And you said that you had no issues whatsoever with Spider Man yeah, collectibles yeah. for the plat. And I got really fucking bored doing mm. all of the um, thug. It was all the thug mini missions. Yeah, yeah that was yeah, what I yeah, got yeah, stuck yeah, on at yeah. the end. Um, look, I've got some other examples of laziness in Hogwarts that. That pissed me off. The fucking voiceovers. <laughs> the repetitive. It's the same five. It's like all roads lead to Hogsmeade. <laughs> and and you have no idea how hard travel was before I invented flu powder. Oh, now, yeah. The yeah, first the- five or six times you hear that in the background, it's, you kind of giggle. The millionth time you've heard the same fucking statements. And that's just when you think it come, probably comes <sighs> down to like a- um, a programming thing with how, like, do you need to trigger those every? Because it's it's obviously a proximity. It's a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. But you could probably cut it down to like, and but that's the thing you've done with other games. Like, uh, I had the same problem with um, Biomutant when I was like, I'm mm-hmm. fucking sick of this narrator. But you had an option to turn that down. It's yeah. like that's probably a good good thing for Avalanche to go. Cool. Next time we do a Harry Potter based uh, Hogwarts game. We might reduce that engagement from those NPCs to, mm, mm. you know, from 100% of the time. Well, let's be honest, to 150% of the time to, um, you know, maybe 50% of the time. But that yeah. will actually, you'll trigger that as you walk past. So, let me just read out just just quickly for, for, for readers. Yeah. For listeners at home, um, the collectibles in this game. Now, there's 1,257 collectibles total. You don't need all of them. You need 603 to get the platinum. Right. Um, they include 10 tools, 69 enemies, 89 appearances, 150 Revelio pages. So I'm not going to explain what all of these are, but 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 take, take my word for it and Tom's, 13 beasts, 75 traits, 42 wand handles, 140 conjurations, 16 ingredients, 13 briefs. They're the core collectors, collectibles, and by the time you finish the game, you've pretty much accidentally come across all of those. They're oh, not- easily 80%. Yeah. 80% you, is a minimum if you haven't you, really been looking. Yeah. 83 flu flames, which are your fast travel points, which you'll get, you'll come across anyway. 95 Merlin trials to me were a grind. They're a grind for two reasons. First of all, uninventive copy paste mechanics. And the second one was just a, a pet peeve. When you successfully complete whatever the mini game is, there's a three second or five, probably closer to five second unskippable cutscene. And it's the exact same cutscene all 95 times. Yeah, some dude figured out that you actually waste, it's like 27 minutes of in-game time having to watch those. <laughs> someone did the math. Yeah, yeah. yeah so boy. someone else was pissed off enough to fucking do yeah, the math. Yeah. 32 sets of balloons, fly through and pop the balloons. Yeah. 33 demigod oh, statues. Man, I've been really enjoying the flying. That's been fun. Yeah, the flying mechanic's great. Yeah. I think they, they had a massive miss on the flying um, flying beasts because yeah, it no, takes I, an I, extra I actually, one or two seconds. I agree with you with this. I, I, yeah. And I know it's because 
I've been doing so much of the outside world before I discovered the ability to fly on, you know, a hippogriff or whatever. Yep. Or a thestral or something. There's only um, two flying beasts. That's a miss in itself. Yeah. It's just considering there's like twenty beasts in the game. You, I mean you just said thirteen, so yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, and you one have you to get breed. to one, one you get yep. to ride on, but I haven't discovered them yet, but I know they're coming. Because I've yep. found their nests and I can't capture them. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I was like, oh, it's that one. Yeah, okay, copy. Um, it was just like, it's, yeah, it's one of those things that like the, depending on how you play it, if you just go smash through the story, it's probably worthwhile to fly on a beast. Um, I know you said it was, it was a bit of annoying because it took too long to conjure them. I was just like, I like, I can, I can definitely see that now having, having found them. But for me, it was just, they just appeared too late in the game. And I was like, well, I'm- they did. They did appear mid-game, and I mean like middle of storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also like now now I've got my, my brooms actually a little bit faster and a little bit easier to ride now. Because you upgrade the broom, yeah. and it's so it's faster than the beasts. But the core reason I think 99% of players would be using the broom, not the beasts, all the time is what I originally said to you, and that is to get the broom out and start flying from a standing start takes zero seconds. It's instant. Yeah, you just click and it's there. You, yeah, I think it's you hold down. I don't even remember the key sequences that long ago for me. L1 okay. and circle. L1 and circle. Conjured. Whereas to conjure your flying beast from a standing start. L1 I think and it's, triangle. It's L1 and triangle, but then there's this, he this opens four the bag second and animation it, yeah. of opening the bag and the creature comes out and he jumps on it. And that extra three, four seconds of video animation just make it not fucking worth it because half the time when you're zipping between points, you're on your broom instantly. You're at your your other point well, in think, 10 seconds the, time and you're back yeah. on the ground. I think the bigger thing was actually more that um, when you would conjure the beast to fly on, you had to have more open area in front of you. You couldn't mm. do it in tightest things True. where with the broom you could be like, yeah, sweet, I've just jumped off the roof of this house. Also, yeah, the lack of fall damage in this game was a surprise and also entertains me greatly. Um, because I love the idea. One of the things my mates used to hate watching me play games because I'd always test fall damage. It'd be like one of the first mm-hmm. things I do. Yeah, we've, like, I think we've talked about this on the podcast, yeah, actually. And I would just jump off the highest thing. And I've, I've done that so many times. Unless you're in a mission, you basically like lose like a tenth of your health bar, yeah. which automatically yeah. generates. Um, um, the other thing that's really annoyed me about this game, and it's a story point, um, which I won't go into for like spoiler purposes, but yeah. So you play as a fifth-year student, which has been mm. established before you even start the game. Um, the thing that's really annoying me in the open world is like the amount – it feels like they've tried to create two games in a way. Um, so there's this, the core school element, which is which is done really well, and that's perfect, and that like really like yep. um, emulates the book and the feeling you get from reading the books. But then when you're in the open world – you're acting like a full-blown adult wizard and there's mm-hmm. people who are older than you trusting you to do things that they say, oh, it's too dangerous. And you're like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do it. It's the same with like the unforgivable spells and <laughs> curses. It's like <laughs> I shouldn't be able to cast these and get away with it, but I should also probably shouldn't be doing these like problems, like finding missing persons for adults in like enemy camps when they won't, but yeah. I can because I'm- But a- they all- but they all cop out of that with all the side quests where they, where they, you know, like you need to go and rescue the MacGuffin from yeah. the really dangerous encampment. All of the adults giving you the quest are like, 
yeah, but you're too young, so don't you do it. Get someone else to do it. And you go, oh, okay, no worries. And then you go and do it yourself. And then you turn it in and they go, thank you so much. Yeah, but that's the thing. That whole that whole element feels like it should have been like part of a sequel where you come back as mm. like an aura. Like mm. that'd be really cool to be like, sure, you, you've, you've you developed more time in like the, the, the child quests for like students, co-students at the school and stuff. You get plenty of in the schools it is, but then like all the open world stuff, it's like it feels like they've put stuff that should probably be for like some sort of sequel or like Yeah, look, there's it's almost inevitable they're do- they're doing DLC. And given it's it's as much as there's controversy behind the game, the game's killing it when it comes to making money. The, oh, if you look at the past Harry Potter games, popular. I, I played some of them on the GameCube and the PS2 and PS3. It was just like they were shit compared to what we got right now. Like yeah, they I'd would look, never. This game is is making millions of dollars. It's almost but it was never so immersive and made you feel yeah. like you were actually part of the, the the school, so to speak. Yeah, but so so I think DLC is definite, and I think a sequel. They'd be dumb not to do a sequel given their success at the moment. Yeah. Um. Couple of other things. This is uh, f- first. I'll, I'm going to finish on a, on a positive note. But the one thing I did want to say is this is not specific to Hogwarts. This is specific to quite a few games hmm. like Hogwarts, including Hogwarts, where they've implemented a RPG light element. It's like every open world game suddenly wants to introduce this RPG light element, and it's fucking clothing in Hogwarts. Yeah, I'm I'm unsealing a dungeon that, by definition, has not been entered into for two thousand years, and I open up a chest and I get a literally what's called a modern school uniform mm. piece of loot. How yeah, is a modern the- school uniform in a two thousand year old dungeon? It's magic, Peter. It's magic. How is this? How is this fucking sack of potatoes sized gold gold fucking sack? Like we're talking twenty kilo bag of cement size gold bag have eight gold pieces in it they're very large gold pieces <laughs> but but mainly my complaint is with the clothing mechanic the the rpg element is their stats on the clothing there's a, yeah. a fence and defense and you can add they're socketed so you can you can craft sockets later on to add more defense on mm-hmm. offense items and vice versa whoop do you fucking do that's your rpg element but seriously, there is nothing RPG about changing your clothing every five fucking minutes in any kind of... Can you imagine doing that in an old pen and paper RPG? Like, sorry, Dungeon Master. I, I, I've just picked... Every five minutes, I'm going to pick up a new fucking scarf. We ha- mm-hmm. all have to stop playing so I can try it on, see if the stats are one better. It's yeah. not RPG. It's bullshit is what it is. No, that's that's definitely... that's a, It's not Hogwarts-specific. No, but that that's, that's a throwback to, like, Diablo 2, like, that's where that started. It's lazy fucking programming so they can say it's got RPG elements in it. That's what I think. Um, yeah, but that's where it started. It started back with Diablo 2 and 3 where you, you would run through a dungeon. As you run through a dungeon, you pick up 18 different pieces of loot and one of them would have one better stat and you'd put it on and be like- You'd try them all on so you've got Suddenly I fucking- have barbarian chilling plate and oh, <laughs> now I've got the, the barbarian axe of fire. Nothing mm. RPG about it. Um, look, the last part, the more, last it's comment. It's actually not RPG, it's RNG is what <laughs> yeah, they should exactly. be referring to it as. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, and completely pointless too. So, I, in my playthrough, because the level cap's 40 from memory? 40? Yeah. Well, 40 is the gold trophy you have to get to. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's also level cap. You can't go past that. Right. So, I found once I got to level 30 gear, 
I stopped giving a fuck. Anything that was, I, I, I decided I was oh, drawing I a line. I the same gear for the last ten levels, and I'm like, yeah, I got 35. so sick of going into my inventory and seeing if this piece has one extra stat and that it because it, it had so little impact on the playability of the game, yeah. and I was so overpowered. And that is one thing I will say, even on on hard difficulty, mm. you destroy your enemy way too easily once you learn the 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 combo, the unforgivable. No, not even the unforgivables. But once you just learn, like, I actually because I've I've done I don't really use the unforgivables in my main playthrough, but I I played the dark arts arena, mm-hmm. and where compared you can to only the, use unforgivables, yeah, and I actually found that a lot harder than the regular arenas. Okay, because I once you get the blast, Expelliarmus, and they're all red. No, no, I'm freezing people and slicing them up. Slice. That was the third one. But freeze, ver- freeze and slice, demolished. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You cast a little glacius, and then like a defendo, and then they're just done. No, yeah. I did. I always did torture, no, defendo slice, is the downward one. What am I thinking of? Whatever. Torture, slice, and bomb. Um, Bombarda. The fourth one. Bombarda. Yeah. So, so my last comment on Hogwarts Legacy was kind of a a funnier one. It's hmm. it's a pro- it's it's kind of a game mechanic. Miss, you are extre- you're a proper posh English student, the same as a Harry Potter games. So the way that you interact with teachers is very respectful and, and Yes, posh. Professor. Sure, Professor. I really enjoyed your assignment, Professor. It was quite a challenge. Yeah. My character, by the end of the game, was a fucking sociopath because I would go out and kill an entire nation of fucking goblins. I would annihilate dozens of wizards of dark wizards Adult wizards. I'm a fifth year student. That is a using, real, yeah. Using you kill all a lot three, of people without using unforgivables. I I use all three unforgivable curses and annihilate even without using dozens them, you're, and you're dozens killing, of adults. Killing so Let many finish. people. Yeah. And then I finish the missions and I pop back to the fucking principal's office and say, thank you, Mr. Principal. I really enjoyed this assignment that you set for me in this crazy polite language. I'm a fucking sociopath. I'm out there annihilating. I'm committing genocide using all of the unforgivable curses and then going back to high school and talking to my principal in the most respectful language you can imagine. It's just yeah. so weird. It's so jarring. No, 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 no. It's, 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 it has been a really jarring point for me. It's like even- There's a it, lot of killing. You're right. You, well, no, it doesn't matter what spells you use. If, even if you, if you don't yeah. use any of the unforgivables, you, you kill people as you, as you cast on them. You don't knock them out. It's not like it's not like Batman where you're like, yeah, I yeah. may have just dropped that guy three stories, but they he's KO'd fine. and then despawned, yeah. but they they're fine. Yeah, no, yeah. they're dead. No, but your character model even yells at them. It's your fault. Your blood is on on Ranrock the Goblin's hands. It's like no, yeah. bro. You just chose to kill him. I like, literally I chose flew to kill my him. broom yeah. into the middle of fifty guys. Killed them all with all the spells that I had been taught, and then yeah. went back to high school where they taught me. Yeah, no, it's pretty that is, fucking scary when you think. But that's about it. that's what I'm talking about in terms of the. Um, it feels like a mix between it. It part of it feels like it should have been just a school focused game, and then the outside world should have been like As a few adult. years later, you're out hunting dark wizards, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got no problems with with killing video game people, but. It did feel like my character was a sociopath, particularly just the juxtaposition of I'm a fifth year student in high school. I'm having these. But you also don't weird- have a choice to not kill them. Yes. 
I'm having these interactions, Except these strangely platonic mm. and un, un like and and I'm and this is not a complaint. I'm not a complaint at all. Yeah. But unrealistically platonic relationships with fellow students given that I'm in a fifth year, like I'm almost an adult because mm. if you cast your mind back to what you were like interacting with 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 other people uh, when you were 16 and 17, it wasn't 100% platonic 100% of the time. No. The game needed to be, and I think that's appropriate choice for the game. But then I go out into the adult world and I kill everyone and I come back yeah. to these weirdly platonic high school relationships. You're right. It does feel like two games. It feels yeah. like a, a child-oriented or a child-targeted game in school and then quite yeah. the adult 35-year-old video gamer oriented outside well yeah in in the in the school it feels more like uh, yeah, it's the it's fun all, part of harry potter it's the first couple of years of the harry potter yeah yeah and then it gets to the outside world and it, it's it's a it's a shoot em. like it's a shoot em all yeah shoot, beat em up yeah, yeah kind of thing yeah yeah which would have been fine if you if you if you'd set that as okay cool the first half of the game is you getting through that school you develop that power and then it's like the second half is Six, seven years later, you come back to the Hogwarts region. You've developed your ancient magic power, which is you mm. know, which is fun in itself. And then it's like you're an aura or you're a dark wizard. And that's like that's when you split the game and go like you can go a dark path or you can go a light path. I or, felt yeah. that, it, that I, I really, I was really genuinely there's no surprised. Real moral choices in the game up until the point where I am. I mean, I'm, there might be one for like end game stuff. Like, there's no, there's no repercussions for using the unforgivables. Yeah, you can, you can, you can, because I've looked you can up do a that few in front of your teachers. For, yeah. They don't care. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's confusing in that way. It is a beautifully crafted game, though, in the sense of like the world building of the castle and all that mm. kind of stuff. That is all enveloping and like, and the actual storyline when you think about it, the the ancient magic plot line. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Is is cool and it's consistent with the lore. It's it fits into the canon. I quite like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I there, there was no real depth to the storyline. There's no real no, moral no. principle behind it beyond you can't take pain away from people without them not being people anymore because we all are shaped yeah. by our own existences and part of existence is pain. But yeah, I was interesting enough to follow the follow the plot, and I felt it fit into the canon. It's just it it's forty hour game wrapped in a hundred hour trophy. Yeah, and it's just it's just a bit because if you look at the games Jarring. that um, Avalanche Studios have created as well, um, they've done the entire Just Cause series. They did that Mad Max game mm. um, as well. So like, and you know, those also didn't have like. I guess like that kind of moral, like, kind of grounding. Not the moral grounding, but that that moral split of your choices. Like your choices never. There's no. It felt weight. like it should have had some sort of Jedi versus Sith choice at some point, and the story should have branched. Well, yeah, you 100 percent should have had the choice to go. You know what? I'm going to join Ranrock and his dark wizards. Like, fuck it, I agree with them. There's well, actually only one, and, and, and it's funny because almost all the side quests and quite a few of the main quests, hmm. you actually can make decisions. You can choose how you respond to the characters. You can yeah. choose to tell them to fuck off. You can choose to demand more money as a reward. There's lots of choices that you make in the game, but I found through experimentation and then I backed it up with some research afterwards. 
literally affect anything. Yeah. Literally none of the decisions you make throughout the game have any impact whatsoever on the game except one. And that one decision determines which characters are available at the end of the game. That's yeah. it. And it's only one choice. Hmm. And so it's actually one it- of those things as well, like that if you go if you if you try and look up now like any sort of gameplay like playthrough advice like trophy roadmap or anything every single one tells you to be a dick and ask for money because it doesn't affect your gameplay mm. yeah mm. yeah yeah even so though i've got to the point now where it's like the money doesn't matter and i'm just earning millions of it i'm like oh cool and there's nothing to spend the money on yeah yeah it was a shitty like it was a poorly implemented fucking um trading system frankly but look i i think overall the game the, the game was was good oh yeah that's the other thing but it was so close to great is anyone else so from avalanche from listening right now because you need to implement a sell all function because oh. that is fucking annoying yeah yeah having to individually sell every single item in your inventory that and, you don't need and you collect and, so much shit yeah. And there's no and there's no reserve button, so you can't mark anything in your randomly yeah, yeah, yeah. randomly ordered inventory in the cell window. You can't mm. say um, grey out that one, so I can't sell it. It's just yeah, you, you can't you can't go like that. Oh, no, that's that's like a favorited item or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, or mark look, something as junk and then go sell all junk, which is yeah. an inv- invaluable part of every not a other, new game like, mechanic. No, very old. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's that's. I, I actually think we're going to call this episode Avada Kedavra because I think that makes sense. Um, no, we need to make fun of the uh, one of my favorite memes of all time, which is the um, the dude who picks up various sizes sticks and goes Avidi Kavidi Avidi Kavidi Avidi Kavidi Avada Kedavra. I'll send no it to you. It's, what it's very funny. Talking about. We need to call okay. it Avidi Kavidi Avidi Kavidi Avidi Anything else to say on the topic? I'm done. I'm out. No, I, I look. I look forward to finishing it. Um, I, I hope the guys who are behind it are a bit quicker on the on the on the pickups. There, there are a few little little you know hiccups that everyone's gone through mm. in this game, which is a bit annoying. Like they fixed my bug pretty quickly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure mine will come through. Um, I've, but I've it's just, surprising. I've, I've, I've got to say, f- I've just I've had so much. Joy brought through just flying through the open world. Um, even just like I know I can't land in parts of the castle. I'm like, oh, that's the tall point I need to get to. I could probably land up there. And they're like, no, 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 that's against the gameplay. But just even just soaring around the castle, like it's every part of the movies you wanted to go and go. I just want I to got fly that, over there. I like, got that joy too for Hogsmeade and Hogwarts. Yeah, and the novelty in the open world. Is there at the start, but it wears off really fucking quickly. Yeah, but I still like there are plenty of points where I'll be like, I should probably just fast travel that. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna fly it and I'm 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 gonna get as close to the water as possible and I'm gonna like skim the top and then I'm gonna like try and imagine how I would fly a broom. It's it's that kind of like freedom kind of thing. It's yeah. like this is like but the that's perfect you example of a game your- that, that would excel in VR. You're ex- yeah, 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 that too. That had occurred to me. But you're you're exploring your fantasy of the of the Harry Potter world yes. more than the and the games giving you an avenue to to explore that. It's yeah. not actually a part of the game. But that's also what I would look for in any. I wouldn't call this a tie-in game, but let's use that as a really bad mm. broad term. Like, yeah, 
I would want that in the Star to Wars embody game. a character from. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I just, I still, I still maintain that as soon as you're out of sight of uh, the out of out of sight of Hogs, Hogwarts Castle in the open world, uh, once you're out of sight, out of sight of that, or the Forbidden Forests, the rest of the the rest of the open world is kind of fucking lame. Oh uh, no, no, I don't agree with that. I mean, I, but also I. I, if I had a choice, I would live in the Scottish Highlands. So, like, yeah, the, sure. Like, that's like the, that's like the land I'd live in, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just I, I think the world's it's beautiful. It looks it, but that's the other yep. sort of thing. It looks, looks stunning. It looks yep, stunning. It does yeah. yeah? Totally agree. Um, yeah, and look, all roads lead to Hogsmeade. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine anywhere else just as cozy? <laughs> Same fucking lines over and over. Anyway, uh, I think that's it. I that think is that's it. it to the episode. Anything else to add? No, 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 no. I uh, yes, that's it. That's it. Really cool. impressed. I'm just. I'm gonna go back. I'm super doubly impressed with that black IPA. So well done, Sydney Brewery. Even just finishing that off, that was that was delightful. Well nice. done. You guys have yeah stepped up that game. Which yeah, I know that looked like a really okay. bad. I'm gonna keep an eye out for it because I do like a good black IPA. Yeah, I think I think I've I, I could probably I think I got this there's a spare can at the brewery. I'll maybe maybe able to squeal it away for you. Um, yeah, I, I'm hoping there's some about, but yeah, that was that was really good. Yeah, well, well played. If I was wearing a hat, I'd take it off today. <laughs> well, um, but no, that's it. Thank you very that's much. It. Yes, thank you for listening as always. Um, we- Hopefully next week we'll have uh, next time we'll have Dan back to moderate us as he's good for. Yes, we we we've kind of split our audience actually. I'm finding that um, most of the Aussie listeners are audio listeners, and most of our video listeners, and we're getting getting lots of good numbers on YouTube these days. They're about sixty percent American. It's really interesting the the demographic difference between audio podcast and videos. Um, unfortunately. Almost a hundred percent of our YouTube watchers are male. Now I'm not surprised that that we I am you know the the content, but I am slightly disappointed that it's a hundred percent. That's a hard, harsh number. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Continue pumping out the content for both. It's also how people use YouTube, like you know. Yeah, I watch yeah. YouTube very differently to the way Emma watches it. I she uses it like oh. Easily, it's almost like a hundred to one. Like how much <laughs> I use YouTube to watch shit to compared to what she does. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, all right. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. Have a good we'll night. Hope. Enjoy hopefully. the rest of your Wednesday. Yes. Hopefully, we'll Wherever stick you to are. something of a more regular schedule. We'll be back um, before Andy gets home. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>